Welcome to the Tenant Podcast. I'm Todd Pearson here with my friend, partner, and 1998 wife carrying runner up world champion, better known in Finland as Icon Kanto, co host extraordinaire, Wes Brown. Wife carrying champion. Oh my Why God. I'm so surprised when I say this stuff. Well, no, when it's I not that I'm surprised. I just surprised that you find this stuff. I have to do a lot of Googling, a lot of research to like find these facts out about, so, about you. Okay. Yeah, I so mean, say it, say truly, it again. I think you're, I have to say it again. Well, this just, just highlight because I love that. I, I mean, I came so close to getting number one. So, right. Runner 1998, up. Runner up. World champion. Wife carrying champion. Okay. And then you said something else. Well, I, I use the Finnish word because it's a fin. Oh, it's a, well, yeah, I know that. The, I know it's the Northern European countries seem yeah. like they have the, like, the weirdest competitions. And so wife carrying is a competition that they do in Finland. It's called right. Icon Kanto. Icon Kanto. Yep. I was I there. Icon Con Kanto. I was there in 1998. I remember this well, because what's really funny about it, it wasn't my wife because I was divorced and um, I had, you know, I was in between wives you know, but I got so into the moment that I, I, I grabbed this other dude's wife and all of a sudden I'm carrying her and she's like freaking out, screaming and, you know, but I thought she was enjoying because, you know, it's it's in another language. I didn't know what she was saying. But um, so we we're running and, you know, we're out in front. It was kind of like the Preakness a couple weekends ago. I was out in front and then all of a sudden some Finnish guy em- just come. Emery Ambos, Emery Ambos and Anella. Oh, oh, Yaste. They're the ones that won. They're the ones that won. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, we had we had schnapps later that night from some Russian guy, because I mean, I don't know what the Finns drink, but we had schnapps after I got interviewed by the police for grabbing this woman because they thought I was trying to kidnap her. But anyway, long story short, I came in second. What now? Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, so he didn't share any of the beer with you because the winner gets. The, whoever whoever he carries, his wife's weight in beer is, is the the grand prize right, right. of this competition. But you guys drank schnapps. We drank we drank schnapps because he drank all the beer. He was kind of greedy, you know. Normally the Scandinavian countries are all about giving, and but not him. He was like, "I'm in it. I want it, and I'm going to drink it. This is mine. Go get some other stuff." And so we, you know, the, like I said, the Russian guy had some schnapps. We, you know, we downed a few and we had a good time. Um, the cops joined in on a few shots. So, you know, everything em- em- uh, ended happy, ended happy. So I love yeah. happy endings. So I got to ask you before we get yes. on to the serious stuff here. Yes. There's uh, there's like three traditional ways to carry in this competition. Um, do you know which one did you use? So you got the piggyback, traditional piggyback, you know, yep, yep, yep. which nope, I think would be that. difficult because there's there's two sections that are dry obstacle courses and one section that's like a wet obstacle course. Right, right. Then you have um, and it's the wet one that I we we slowly lost the race. to. Oh, yeah. It's the you? wet obstacle course. OK. Yeah. And then and then there's the fireman carry. Right, right. Yep. And then you have um, the Estonian style, which is where she kind of sits upside down and she intertwines her legs around your neck and and head and holds on for dear life, which I would think that that's fine in in the dry sections. But when you're going through water, that's probably not very much fun for the for the. 
Right. So when I grabbed her, I, I, I scooped her up. And so we ended up in the Estonian style and she was screaming. I, th- I thought she was just saying, go, go, go. But she was saying something else, I guess. But anyway, but when we got to the, the, the wet side, she kind of drug me down a little bit. And of course, she couldn't breathe because, you know, her head was upside down and she was underwater. And yeah, so it was it was quite the deal. But, Sounds um, awkward. It was Sounds a little very awkward. awkward. Uh, it was more more awkward for her than for me. But anyway. That's what I love about you, man. You're not, you're not afraid to grab someone no. else's wife and just well, run. I'm just in it. the moment. You got it. You can't say no. You can't remember, like Tiffany Mang said, you can't say no. You got to say yes to these gotta opportunities. Be open to opportunities. Opportunities. You never know what's coming knocking. So you just got to go for it. And I, you know, you know, I'm sure that woman is still having nightmares, but. Uh, Anyway. I think you're quite possibly the most interesting man in the world. I am the most. I think interesting you're going to overtake man. the guy that does the Dos Equis commercials. Dos Equis, yep, yep, yep. But of course, um, that guy's dead. But well, yeah, I think that's they probably how I'm going to overtake him because he's gone already. They need and a new I, bearded gray guy. Well, and I'm it. I'm bearded. I'm gray, and I am interesting. And I do. And I don't say no. And I do weird stuff. So and you're so good. cuddly. Oh I do cuddle well. Thanks. Todd anyway. knows. Todd knows how I cuddle. But we won't go into that story. That's a that's a story for another time. We we gotta we gotta tell that story sometime on air. We will. We will. Should have probably been today because we have a great <laughs> guest that I can't wait to talk to. She's a hoot. I agree. I yeah. am. I, and I think she likes the Estonia style as well. But we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll get her husband on too, and we'll see which style that they would go. I for. I think they're they competing were... next year. So. Fire McCary, you know Estonia, but so so in 2019 they brought this competition to the United States, and now um, uh, it's uh, it it's done in Maine. It's it's held in Maine, the state of Maine. So obviously last year with the pandemic they didn't have it, but I'm wondering if 2021 could be the year. So I don't know. I'm, you were talking about getting into shape. Maybe that, I think I'm going to whip in sure. shape. So if I um I might take somebody else's wife this year, even though I have my own. I may snag another one because that, that you, you still really start running because people are chasing you. So, um, yeah. So Estonia, maybe our guest will want to be my running mate. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So stay tuned for next week for another yeah. fun, fun. Thank uh, you, everyone. Adventure. It's been a great episode. Hang in there. We'll, we'll just hang in there, people. We're going to hit some art here just in a few minutes. So, all right. It's good Let's to see you, buddy. Let's, Let's get, get serious serious. because art is a serious Let's adventure. Serious. Serious. <laughs> oh, my God. We can't take serious. Oh, my Let's God. Let's get serious. I don't think we can go there. Let now me talk we... about the art. About the art. <laughs> Let me talk about the art. Oh my God. All right. I've, I'm going to cut gonna, some stuff out, I think. I'm probably not supposed to talk yet. Are you you can talk whenever you want. You can talk laughing? anytime. They just want. don't know who you are. So you that's what's funny. Well, I'll introduce yeah. myself when. Are, are you <laughs> when having fun? Ready. <laughs> are you ready to be out of this? Are you ready to punch out? She's I like, have what? a little what? bit to say about the intro. Oh, okay. Well, okay. let's do this. <laughs> do you want to say next... it now or do you want us to. Oh, go ahead. Introduce our guests, and then we'll get right into the Estonia. Okay. God, we're so unprofessional. It's oh, my God. I think <laughs> after 81 episodes, we'd be have this down. 
Our next guest is a fantastic artist. I love her work. It's phenomenal. Uh, she has the most amazing energy. She's positive and upbeat, and it's she's just absolutely infectious with positivity, which I love. She's just a joy to be around. We had the honor of meeting her and seeing her work in person during Denver Weekend of the Arts back in April, and she currently has a solo exhibit of her work entitled Interconnected at Thrive Ballpark workplace here in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the program, Christina Davies. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm just having, I'm an artist, so I visualize everything. So I'm having nice. these <laughs> visualizations of you carrying someone else's wife, Estonian style Estonian in Finland. Style. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. So... <laughs> That was an amazing me. story. I could not stop laughing. No, that's good. That's good. That's why we do it. It's uh, <laughs> because I am the most interesting man in the world. You are. I decided you could be the next <laughs> Dosaki's representative for sure. And notice that we never use his name. <laughs> I don't know. Do we know his name? <laughs> we will now. Yeah. Well, and I think you, I think this gives you some creative Thanks. Some ventures to go down and explore the whole Sto Estonian style. Um, yeah. So I, I expect to see something in the future um, with some of your abstract stuff. So. I'm waiting for the husband carrying contest. That's what I would like. To well, get. we right. live in this time of like equal opportunity right. Equal rights, right? I feel like it should be flipped. Like right. I think so too. And yeah. you know what? And I'm going to leave room for trans people to be able to do it, too, because I don't care what our governor says. Trans people deserve to play sports as well. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> oh God, I just got political. You did. So it's um, the, uh, the guy that portrayed the Dosecki most interesting man in the world. His name is Jonathan Goldsmith. He died in 2016. He was, you know, that was a lot of fun commercials. So I Dosecki, liked him. yeah, he was cool. So Dosecki, if you're listening and you need another one, I'm your man. I'm your man. <laughs> what? You can do the acting and I'll write the stories. How's that sound? That sounds great. Does that work? And well? we can use the sponsor. And we could use a sp those. Oh, wouldn't that be great if Dos we yeah. Dosakis as a sponsor? Yeah, the most interesting podcast in the world. <sighs> I'd have That's to start it. drinking beer again, though. <laughs> I'd have to learn to like beer, I guess. Um, let's talk about art. Uh, let's okay. do that. Uh, my goodness. Estonian People style. are like, what the heck is this? <laughs> we're going to talk. This, my friend told me it was about art, but all they were talking about was this weird competition in Finland. <laughs> um, so, Christina, take a moment and um, tell our listeners what you do as an artist, like what mediums you work in and, and so on and so forth. So the mediums I work in are mostly acrylic paint. I do a lot of mixed media. So I will paint on papers and rip them and then adhere them to canvas or wood. I do a lot of mark making with different instruments, mostly, you know, mostly charcoal, um, pens, pencils, oil pastels, the ends of paint brushes. Those are my favorite mark making tools. So you're painting and then all of a sudden you just flip it around and go. Uh, so, and so that just um, kind of removes the, some of the paint away, right? Yes, it is does. And it makes a, a, a line, you know, okay. a fine line yeah. or a fine mark. So I would say mostly I have done some oil, but I'm too impatient for oil. 
I work really, really, really fast. And, and I want that next layer to start right away if I'm in the flow. So for oil, I haven't quite figured out how to do that, but I would still like to continue to do, I've done a few pieces in oil that I really do love, um, but it's just a different approach. Mostly acrylic on canvas. Nice. So you say you work really fast. Do you usually have, we ask this question a lot, but because it seems like you're really focused in on the piece, are you, do you do a piece like start to finish or do you have multiple pieces going on? At multiple time? pieces. Okay. Yeah. And, and they can take months, even years, because you'll put it aside. It's in the back of, on the wall, leaning precariously and other paintings are in front of it. And then you pull it back and say, oh yeah, I want to keep working on this. So, um, I work on multiple paintings at a time. And the person uh, who taught me that is uh, Jeff Wenzel. He's a Denver artist, abstract artist. And I took courses from him at Art Student League of Denver. And I remember, you know, I bring him my one little canvas on the first day and then what he demonstrated and, and what he presented um, as his process really influenced me, which was get large pieces of wood, get um lots of different sizes and work on multiple ones because they can inform you uh so what i'm doing over here might inform what i'm do doing over there which is absolutely what what happens and then also while that layer is drying because i don't want to mess with that it does need to dry but i'm still in this flow i can go and work over here and then maybe over there when did you take up painting was this something that you took up as a child, as a young woman, or is this something that you found like later in later as in the senior uh, citizen? No, no. <laughs> the senior citizen center. Sorry. In Aurora. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that you um, that you picked up later on in your adulthood. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I'm still laughing from our pre-show um, banter. Okay. Um, I s always loved art. I started drawing from the big, from, I don't know, as soon as you could start holding something in your hand and put it on a piece of paper, like crayons and pencils. So my mom really encouraged freedom. I'm the youngest of four. By the time I came along, it was like, whatever you want to do, sweetie, just. <laughs> I'm so over it. You can yes. do whatever you want. <laughs> so I had a hundred percent freedom, which was fantastic. And um, I can remember those. Oh, so this is why I joked about being a senior citizen, because I can remember the paper I used back then, which was like the little butcher, you know, the cheap, cheap buff colored drawing paper, right? That you get in packs or that you used to use in school back in the day. And um, there's just sheets of it on the kitchen table. And I was just drawing, 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 drawing when mom was getting dinner ready and my brothers and sisters are running around and it was just my favorite place to be. And it still is. I mean, that's what's so fascinating. But um, I mostly drew and then all through middle school and high school, I identify myself as an artist in terms of I can draw well, so I can replicate something well. I learned how to draw portraits. I learned how to draw still lifes. I could draw animals, but I'd have to really look at a picture to draw animals well. And it was wonderful. I loved it. But I didn't tap into what I'm doing now until the last, I'd say, five years. So I, I went to high school, 
uh, did all the art classes, would do, I thought I was gonna, you know, one day I'm gonna go to New York and get my um, MFA in art. That was my whole thing. Or I'm gonna go to New York and do art. But instead I um, went to, I stayed at CU, which I loved. And I took all the art classes you can possibly take. I feel like then you could take more electives than students are allowed to now. Um, but I also fell in love with sociology. It was my, you know, you take freshman year that the, your liberal arts smorgasbord and I thought it was the coolest subject ever. I loved the professor and that's what I ended up getting my degree in. What drew you to that, to sociology? Um, I love, well, it's so funny in the long run, I can see how it's going to tie into what I'm doing right now, but I loved studying systems and culture and the way society works and how, you know, we think we're these independent beings that come into this earth and yet we're completely affected by the institutions and our upbringings and the environment and, um, our cultural beliefs, our value systems. So I was just very much intrigued by it. I loved social psychology as well. I was loved psychology. It was very hard to choose between the two, but anything in the um, liberal arts, I enjoyed. Uh, modern, I remember my modern novel classes and um, philosophy and religious studies. It seems like they all work together to teach me a lot more about the world than I knew going in for sure. Right. And also, I felt like I wanted to uh, become either a social worker or a teacher or an artist. I didn't know which one of those three, but the, that background in sociology, there, there, there wasn't at the time a women's studies department or um, any department at the time that studied race relations or, I mean, even back then, the term multiculturalism still wasn't even quite there. You could take your one black history course or your one women's studies course within the framework of sociology. And all of that intrigued me. It, it, to me, it was just of the utmost importance. It, it actually still is. Um, but learning about it at that time being, you know, very sheltered with middle-class upbringing in uh, Colorado, it just, touched something really deep inside me that made me wanted to keep, made me want to keep learning more. So I forget where the question so, started. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, okay. So what did, what did you end up getting your degree in? So I got my BA in sociology. Okay. And then I had a whole slew of like probably 21 credits or something. I almost could, I think I could have had a minor if I had worked on it, but in, in art. So yeah. between drawing, painting, and art history. So did you feel like you got a pretty good uh, basis of education out of CU? I loved my education. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was amazing. I can still remember my professors. I loved school though. So yeah. I loved school. I loved class. I was the annoying one who was in the first row. Who oh my God. Yes, we had to sit side by side then because that's where I was. <laughs> I would be asked the question when there was five minutes left in class and people right. hated me. It's yeah. like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> but I was so into the lecture or I wanted to just, honestly, I was insatiable with my learning and which was a, an amazing thing. So, um, and uh, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting because again, it ties into what I'm doing now. There was this just one day. And I do think this is the magic of, 
a liberal arts education, wherever you are, is I was taking um, philosophy, modern novel, history of science, religious studies, sociology, art history, right? And there was this one day that everything I was reading about and studying all connected so beautifully. I felt like for a moment, I remember I was lying down in the quad on the grass, looking up at the sky. And I was, I was, I thought I had it. I was like, I have it. I know the key to the key to life, the key to the universe. I've, I've got it. And then it went away. It was like a fleeting <laughs> moment. But it, for just a moment in time, everything seemed very connected. Everything I was learning in the history of science and about Carl Jung's theories, or not Carl Jung, I'm sorry, because it was connecting to Carl Jung in my psychology class, um, Albert Einstein. And everything I was learning, it, it was all the time period that I think the courses happened to over, you know, no professors were talking to each other right. about this amazing connection, but it just happened. Yeah. Um, but I also love learning and that, that helped. Like I put a lot into school. So I think I got a lot out of school. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And that's how I felt. I was very engaged and I went to, I went to college later. I was 29 when I enrolled in college. So I'm your traditional or your traditional non-trad, right? Right. That set up front, ask questions, be annoying, but really engaged and all, and just always wanting to learn more and more and more. So yeah, yes. I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. So where do you go from here? Like once you get that psychology degree, did you jump into, did you put that into practice? Did you continue your education? So after my degree in sociology, um, I moved out to San Diego because that was way back in <laughs> late 80s when I graduated and the economy here was terrible. I mean, this is before the Rocky Stadium, before high tech, before any of that. The um, oil industry had gone way down. I remember there were like no jobs. So we moved out to San Diego um, with my future husband, but at the time he was my boyfriend. I worked at a publishing company for about a year and a half, and then I went back to school at San Diego State, and I enrolled in the master's in, the, in their MFA program there, and I was in it for six months, and it just wasn't clicking with me. I, I loved it. I took a, some amazing life drawing courses and um, like a po politics and art class. That They were really good classes, but I think I was wearing a very practical hat at the time, and I knew... I was going to get married. I knew I wanted to have kids. I was trying to think of a job that would be good for raising a family as well as provide income. And so I left the MFA program and went into the teaching program. Um, and I became a teacher out in San Diego and I loved it. I mean, I loved it just as much as I did creating artwork. So I think in teaching, you can be very creative. And I had Again, incredible professors. San Diego State started as a teaching college, and I, their program was amazing. By the time I got out and started my first year teaching, I, I really felt ready and excited and passionate about it. And so then we moved back here. I started working in the Cherry Creek School District. My first job was at Laredo Middle School. Actually, I did the math, and I think my students that I, my very first year teaching was in sixth grade in La Mesa, California. And I think those kids might be 40 <laughs> now, maybe early 40s now. So, um, and then 
I went to Laredo here in top for a couple of years, had my kids took a couple of years off. And then I taught at Walnut Hills elementary for the remainder of my career. And so I was at Walnut Hills for 23 years as a teacher. Wow. wow. That's yeah. awesome. What did you taught teach? Everything from K through five. Oh, wow. Okay. So. so I was a classroom teacher. Everyone thinks I probably was the art teacher, but I was always a classroom teacher. So you taught a little bit of everything. Yes. And I loved it. I love teaching reading. I love teaching writing. Again, those connections were so important. What we're learning about in writing right now, that can carry through in what we're learning about in science and reading, you know, from all age levels, kindergarten, fifth grade. And that's actually a really important planning strategy to, that teachers use to make sure that everything's integrated so kids can make connections. So when, when you started talking about teaching middle school in San Diego, right? Yes. And you said, then all of a sudden you said, well, these kids are now in their 40s. Yes. And then I thought you said you taught math. And then I was thinking that maybe you were afraid that they're 40 and maybe their math skills aren't quite up to par and I'm to blame <laughs> for that. So I went to reading. I really thought there was going to be like this, well, you know. <laughs> No, I actually loved teaching math. It, that's okay. a funny story. But they got a they got a good solid solid math foundation from you, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I was worried about a bunch of forty year olds out there without <laughs> not, math skills, right? Not being able to balance their checkbook and not knowing no, why. I was just thinking about the fact that I have former students that are that age. That's what's that, the scary that does part. suck, doesn't yeah, it? That was the part that yeah. <laughs> well, I will tell you this: you you must have graduated high school when you were like twelve. Twelve. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I graduated. You were, you were one of those kids, right? <laughs> Prodigy. I started yeah. teaching right out of college, you know. <laughs> when she was 13. Yes. <laughs> I bet you were a phenomenal teacher. I wish yeah. I wish my kids would have had you. Aw, thank you. It, you know, it was, um, I had an amazing teacher, teaching career. My retirement party was just in 2019. So it'll be two years. I can remember... I remember getting really emotional at, at many of the events that culminated the year. And I felt very fortunate that I got to do that because this in 2020, we couldn't do it. Right. Anyone retiring or in 2020 and even this year has been a little different, but um, you know, it's, it's great. I love my students. I loved teaching. It was exhausting at times. You come home and just are depleted because it really is a crazy day. A lot of times, but overall, it was. I'm really glad I went that direction. I'm. I'm glad I taught for all those years, and it was the perfect profession for also being a mom, in my opinion. Like it, yeah. with two kids. I don't know how teachers do it with three or four kids. Um, we had that discussion. Are we going to go for a third? I said, well, if we do, I'm going to have to quit teaching because I. I know for me anyway, I would have been stretched way too thin. Um, but it was a fabulous career. And my master's is in teaching through the arts. So it's in arts integration. And so especially my last 10 years of teaching, I was able to go in and really bring that to my teaching. So anything we did, you had to bring an art form of art to it or let the kids choose what they wanted to do. My favorite example, I'll go back to math. <laughs> I was teaching um, the advanced math to fifth graders. And in I do this whole week on pi, right? 3.14. But you, you, the whole key with teaching is you don't want to tell them what you're doing. You don't want, you want them to discover the relationship between the circumference and diameter of a circle. So you do all these um, 
exploratory activities where they have all these different circles, then they have to measure the diameter and then take a string to measure around it. And then they just start plotting the information in a table of data. And then you say, so what do you notice? And invariably a kid will say, oh my gosh, well, I'm kind of noticing that it's always about three times bigger, right? This, And so, yes, that's pi. And guess what? Magically, every circle in the world has this relationship. And these are the digits. Well, everyone's so excited. And so all my kids, I had kids that swore they would figure out the pattern. I'm like, there's no pattern people <laughs> but like, we're going to figure it out, you know? And I, and I had a contest, like the kids who wanted to, they were visual learners. They could learn numbers. How many of the numbers after the one, four, could you memorize? And we'd have this big pie day with pie, but the big thing, the culminating activity was that you could do any kind of art form you wanted to present what you learned about pie. So it could have been a rap, it could have been a dance. I had this one girl, I'll never forget, who danced pie. It was actually a beautiful thing. I remember saying, I mean, she could be one of the dancers that you see now dancing in a gallery to art. Do you know what I'm saying? She, yeah. she truly internalized pie, 3.14, the relationship between the diameter and, a, and the circumference of a circle. And she danced it. I mean, who gets to do that? She did. And she was um, in fifth grade. And and I, if I saw her today, I'd ask if she remembered it. I bet she would. Oh, right? yeah, for and, sure. And so, and kids did poems and songs and, oh, patterns with art, Did you know, before digital art. But um, so each number was a different color and then the kids would make this cool. So, but they got to choose what they wanted to do. Nice. Only in Mrs. Davies' class could you dance to pie. Exactly. Only in Mrs. Davies' class. Only in my class. No, but that was an example of bringing arts into the classroom. So I, I, in all its forms, writing, poetry, theater, a lot of, we did a lot of acting out in our class. Um, Not like bad behavior, (laughs) but like readers theater. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I wish I would have had you as a teacher because that would have been a lot more fun, but. uh, It was, I have to say we have fun. We had yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's magnificent. I I would be curious to interview some of your former students and, and without without them knowing that we know you and say who was who was that one person that really stuck out in your mind and your, you know, right. during the course of your elementary education or education, you know, as a whole. And I could almost bet that uh, your name would come up more times. <gasps> Maybe. Maybe, More maybe. times than not, I bet. <laughs> Mrs. Yeah. Davies. Who was your favorite teacher growing up? Oh, Mrs. Dawson. And why? Uh, second grade. I'll t- oh, my gosh. Okay. This is another long story, though, kind of. Um, Mrs. Dawson, first of all, she was young and beautiful, but it wasn't that. It, it was her spirit. She just, she was the first teacher I had that, um, seemed to love kids like my my other teachers were okay but it was more authoritarian and rose and very old school right miss you walked into miss dawson's classroom and there were reading corners and pillows and it was like i'm sure she she come just out of school with like the latest whatever the latest theory was on um making kids feel welcome but whatever it was she she did and so the rows of desks were gone and she believed in, I remember we got to work with groups of kids and set it by yourself. So I think because of her innovation at that time, but also 
She did. Okay. And I, I'm trying to remember, but she did this experiment with our class and it's well, like you can see documentary films about it where the blue eyed kids and the brown eyed kids were treated differently. She did that verbatim. I saw the documentary about this um, experiment that they were doing with kids at the time, educational experiment. And so one day I come to school and because I have green eyes, I was the in the light eyed group. And we got to see a $2 bill and we got to have extra recess and we got to eat popcorn. And, but my friend who had brown eyes didn't get to do all those things. And Mrs. Dawson was not a mean teacher, but she was definitely strict with that group and let us do all these fun things. And I remember inside thinking how wrong it was. And yet I didn't want to displease her. And I loved getting the popcorn and the $2 bill and all those things. The next day it was reversed. And then I was sitting on the other side of the room having to do extra worksheets while the kids with brown eyes got to do all the fun stuff. In retrospect, as an adult, I'm sure she had to get parent per permission to, to do this, right? This was pretty major. Talk about a sociological experience, which is maybe one of the reasons why I love sociology so much. That experience impacted, I think it impacted my life because been the way she brought us all back together and taught us about stereotypes and racism. And um, even the we talked about the Holocaust. I mean, we were in second grade when she did this and profoundly impacted me to such a degree that I think it's why I'm so passionate about the issues I'm passionate about today. Um, so she sticks out in my mind because she did that. And also, though, she was just the most amazing, lovely woman. I just loved her. <laughs> and a teacher like that can make a difference, right? Yeah. We know that. Yeah, right. absolutely. And you, you never know how you will impact a person, you know? Right, right. And especially absolutely. teachers, right? That was a pivotal moment in your life. I mean, you can recall oh. that moment, that experience, like it was yesterday. You know, yeah. I can tell. And, and I know the little bit that I know about your work and, and, and you as a person that that definitely plays into what you do right. as, as an educator and as an artist, correct? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that lens is, has always been there for me. And partly it's because my mom is very, a very compassionate person and she always taught us to think and to question everything, think outside the box and to have empathy and compassion for every other human being, you know? So she would be good about bringing up issues when we are watching the news or thinking about things and making us think about things so that it just wasn't always, well, this is just the way it is. And this is how we are. And this is how that group over there is supposed to be. And this is how they are. And, you know, so I, I credit my mom and I credit that great experience. And um, yeah, I just, it's something I just reminded me of. It was really interesting going through that because the guilt I felt when my friends didn't get to, wasn't, weren't treated well, treated well was really powerful. And yet I still, I didn't stand up and say, no, this isn't right. And right. I just, and I know we were only in second grade, but I think that was a pivotal learning experience for a little one, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, and it, it's, it's true today because people still won't stand up in, yes. in big crowds. And that's, you know, the mindset of the crowd. Todd, uh, you look like you were going to say something. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, 
kids know. They they know yes. that they have that sense even at a young age that when things are not right. Oh, when, absolutely. When things are wrong, when people are being mistreated or they get mistreated, obviously that's the that easy one, but but they know when they see other kids mistreating other kids and they know when they see other adults mistreating other adults, you know, they, they already have that. They do. Yeah. And our biggest thing uh, at Walnut Hills the last several years was talking about being an upstander, not a bystander, Mm. you know, make sure you're, you know, you don't just bystand and let things, you know, and then what are those tools? What are all the different things we can, you can do to, to help another person or to help yourself and advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important, I think, now more than ever. Well, yes. as, at least as much now as ever that yeah. we, we have those tools to help us do that because it's it's an, a pretty ugly world out there at times. Yes, it can be for sure. So you spend, you, you taught for 25 years, is that right? Total of 25, yes. Tw- so I did retire years. a little early. Good for you. During this whole time that um, you're raising a family and you're teaching, were you also doing art? I'd sneak it in. <laughs> so I call myself a closet artist because I could barely like, it just maybe winter break for sure. Summer, I get some materials out, but it was really difficult because as soon as you're in the flow, you know, you got to stop, do laundry. The cat just had a hairball, whatever. It's, it's right. not the, the same. Oh, my soccer uniform, you know, all those things. And so I didn't, I would do little things, little tiny projects that could be self-contained. Um, but then in the summers, I would do more. And I remember starting to paint again, probably when the kids were like 10 and 12. So, you know, I would just do it in the summer. But then when I really said to myself, all right, you want to paint when you're done teaching full time. What do you have to do? So I started taking courses at Art Student League of Denver. I would go, I'd, so you teach all day. I would teach all day. And then on Wednesday nights, go over there from 7 to 10 p.m. And I did that for several years. And mostly it was with Jeff Wenzel. And I had some coursework with Omari Akita. Do you know Omari? H O M A R E. Oh, he's the most amazing abstract artist also here in Denver. Um, both those artists I'm telling you about have pieces at the Kirkland Museum. So they're just incredible mentors. And um, I would take classes from him in the summer and I would go up to Anderson Ranch in the summer and take intensive, you know, the five days in a row where you could get to be up there. That would be my vacation (laughs) to go and do art for five days. And I learned amazing things from artists up there. Teresa Booth Brown, um, Wendy White, Linda Gary, Rubens Genoff, just amazing national artists that come to Snowmass to teach these classes and just take your art practice to a whole nother level. So I feel like as I was finishing my teaching career, I was doing that work for, and then I would be painting in the summers a lot more because of that. And it was probably easier because your children were grown and, and by then have- they were, yeah, by then Sammy was out in college and then Joel was in high school. So, yeah. Talk about that experience a little bit more about being up there in Snowmass because that's a oh. beautiful environment. It's a beautiful it's gorgeous. Uh, arts facility. It's it's really stunning. I think it's the, well, it was the first time in my life. I think the first summer I went was maybe in 2016. What I loved is 
is that you truly are immersed with other artists in a community of artists from all different parts of the country, all different ages, and a lot of college students there that are on scholarship, which I love because it's fun to have their energy there. Um, and you're in your practicum or your studio practice or whatever it is you've signed up for. But when you eat, you're eating with uh, the wood, the person who's building furniture and the photographer and the teacher for the kids program and the professor from Yale and, you know, all these people that are there either to be in a class or to teach. And it's just such a, an amazing experience to be around all these creative people. So for me, I love that. Plus it's beautiful. It is so beautiful up there. So you just can go on hikes when you're not, you know, go for a quick walk in, you know, when you have a slight break. Um, I think I was in the studio 90% of the time, but then even when you're not, when you get out just to look up at the stars and see the night sky and it was just so beautiful there. And then the other thing is they have the, these incredible artists come and give talks I remember seeing an artist named Titus. I can't remember his last name. He's very famous. Titus Kaffer. Kaffer. He is a, a black artist that, again, his, his talk about his art had a profound effect on me. And it was so powerful. And he was one of the ones who said, say yes. He said there was something, I can't remember someone had asked him to do something and he had not figured out how to do that yet, but he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And he said, I've learned something as an artist. You have to say yes. And then you figure it out as you go, because you don't always get these opportunities. And so his voice is in my head when I think of that. And, um, but he would take these big paintings, these gorgeous oil paintings. He had, he had his uh, MFA from Yale. Uh, I hope I got that right. In um, historical time periods where there were paintings with slaves and you could, he would show you how all the figures had something about them that was very prominent, but the slave was invisible. So his whole purpose was to take these historical paintings and make what was invisible visible and give a voice to the black people that were represented in historical artwork. It, 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 his artwork is, is beautiful. And so having someone like him come to talk to us and explain his life and why he became an artist, it, it really, you learn, you again, you go away from this talk and you think, wow. And the next thing you want to do is just run into the studio and start painting like crazy. And then looking him up to see all his artwork and learn more about him. And, and I can, I can tell you there were 10 examples of that because they have amazing speakers coming to that institution all summer long. So there's an example for, of what it's like up there <laughs> at Anderson ranch and the food's amazing. That's what the I heard. It's incredible. It's all organic. Oh my gosh. It's so incredible. <laughs> so. Yeah, his name is Titus Canfor or Canfor. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful work. Um, oh, thank you for looking that up. Yeah, I didn't yeah, want to yeah. get the last he, name right. Yeah. And he did go to Yale. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, his stuff is really nice. Yeah. yeah. So that would be cool to learn under somebody that talented. Yes. And then you mentioned uh, Art Student League of Denver. Talk a little bit about that because we've had uh, people that have come on that have been instructors there and yes. people mention about it. But I think, um, you know, it, it's a really important entity in the in the Denver community, arts community, as far as what they have to offer there. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, I think I was super, I was worried, oh, I need my master's in fine arts. And I said, well, no, actually what I need to do is find artists that I like who teach, like I like what they paint <laughs> and take their class. And that's what I did. When I went on the website, I was, I made the mistake once of signing up. It was a, a wonderful course, but and I was trying to expand my horizons, but I, I took a landscape oil painting class. Oh my God, it was a disaster. It was terrible because I had no interest in it. I realized that. And I said, I really want to paint like the abstract expressionist. That's the kind of art I love and I don't know how to do it. And so when I went into uh, the catalog of Art Student League of Denver, they had different one and I saw abstract expressionism with Jeff Wenzel. And then I went to his website and the minute I saw his paintings, I said, okay, that's the guy I have to take. So I'd recommend anyone if they're going to take an art course to find the artwork that they're attracted to, or that they think that's, Oh, I want to learn how to do that and sign up with that teacher instead of the other way around. Like I've heard this teacher's good, or I want to take, portraiture will look at their artwork the, of the instructors because I think that tells you a lot about at least their style of painting and maybe what you'll learn for them so um, and they have amazing artists there I also took a class from Tracy Russell who is also a local Denver artist and she's my first mixed media instructor that I had there and she was great because she was the first female artist teacher I had ever had except for maybe one in college and um She's actually a member at CORE right now, and she does great. I love her abstracts. So to find another female that did abstracts at Art Student League of Denver was, was a great situation. But I, I love it. I love that building. I have one little funny story. <laughs> I'm going to be bragging now, aren't I? Okay. So, you know, Quang uh, Ho has his yep. studio there. So I, we were doing our thing in Jeff's class, you know, music's on, we got paint everywhere. We're, we're putting stuff on and taking stuff off. That's what I loved about Jeff is he gave me permission to do the, all that. Cause I wanted to do it, but I didn't know you could do that. Like take the tube of paint, paint and like literally just go like that right on it instead of mixing it first, which I always wanted to do, but I didn't do it cause I didn't think I should. And that's what I loved. You know, he broke down all those barriers. So, um, I had worked on this painting uh, that I actually was like, it was, I was loving it. And I had it out in the hallway as I was cleaning up. He came by and commented on it. He said it was, I'm trying to remember his exact words. Like, like that's a fine piece or that's a really good piece. I like that. And I said, thank you. And then he left with his dog and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> he just said he liked my piece. I, I was on top of the moon for about, I don't know, probably a year <laughs> after that. Because <laughs> it was the first validation besides, of course, Jeff was uh, extremely um, uh, supportive and I loved getting his feedback. Sometimes he was like, oh, that's contrived. That looks like you got it at garage sale. Try again, <laughs> which I, I needed that feedback. But uh, to get that from such an amazing Denver artist, um, oh boy, that was really cool. <laughs> well, and it's validation great... outside. It's outside the yes. small group you got. So just yeah. reinforces what, what Jeff is telling you. Absolutely. Oh, and the other thing I would say is I had a fear of painting in front of other people. So I think that's what a lot of why people don't sign up for those courses is because they think, well, you know, who else is going to be in there? What if I'm not talented enough? 
um, uh, I don't want to show what I'm doing in front of other people. As soon as you get over that, oh, it's fantastic. Cause now you're just in a community of artists and my big thing, and this is what I'm doing now, which hopefully we'll get to about my, um, new teaching that I'm doing is letting go of all judgment, letting go of deciding if you're good or bad or putting value on it. Yes. Yes. It's important at some point, if I want to draw something realistic, that it should look like that object. But in terms of the process of act of art itself, know that it's just about that process. And it's not necessarily about the um, end result. It will be at some point, but just let go of the judgment and not, and don't try and make that perfect piece because the minute you do for me, anyway, the energy, the authenticity, the raw emotion goes away from what I'm creating. So one of my big things is, is free of judgment. Don't judge the work that you're working on when you're in the process. And it's about experimentation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So don't be all self-conscious in front of other students at the Art Student League is what I learned. And then mm. next thing you know, you're all just painting together and it really, and then you think, wow, God, I love that green. What kind of green is that, that someone else used? Or you see some tool that someone is scraping with, or you see um, an effect that someone made by putting two layers of paper on it and they tell you how they did it and you learn from each other. So that's the other value of being in a, in with a community of artists. What draws you to abstract expressionism? I have loved uh, what I used to call modern section, the modern art. <laughs> when my parents took me to the uh, museum because they loved art, they loved impressionism, and I go and my with my siblings, but it was mostly, I was a lot younger than the rest of my siblings. So it would, a lot of times it was just the three of us. And I would always just veer off to the modern section of the museum. And I, and anytime I saw abstract painting, I just, I loved it. And I can't tell you why it's intangible. It's something that just gets, I get it in a way that it's a visual vocabulary that is hard to explain, but that I get and I understand and I love and I, and I, not every single abstract piece. Sometimes you look at it and think, what the hell? That does nothing for me. But um, most of them, especially the, you know, the amazing artists, like uh, all the women in abstraction artists, um, Joan Mitchell, Elaine de Kooning. I saw that exhibit at the Denver Art Museum and I just thought I'd done it, died and gone to heaven. I went three times. I have two copies of the book. I just pour over them. So there's just something about the colors, the movement, the gestures. Um, I, I love that it's not a picture of something that I know about. It represents something otherworldly almost. That's like a tap, well, a tapping into something else. I feel like this is another type, another form of art that's more raw, more emotional, and I would connect with it. Kandinsky was the first abstract artist I really connected with, like I'd say probably in high school. And then in college, I started to get to know de Kooning and Bacon and all the, and I loved them all. I just couldn't get enough. And Georgia O'Keeffe, her, her abstractions, which were different than 
um, let's say de Kooning's, but I, I like them all. I just would pour over the art books in Norland Library, see you, the big ones that you pulled down from the shelf and just pour through them. Um, I loved them. I still do. I, I just, to me, there's a beauty in it and a mystery and I could just stare at them forever. The good ones. <laughs> And I just said there shouldn't be any value in art, but I mean like the ones that aren't contrived, right? Because I feel like there has to be some emotional quality that's being brought to abstract art that then we read in a way that we might not understand, but it's not just flat. It's not just a, a layer of white with layer of blue and mm, there you go. You know, why does a Clifford still work? Why does a Jackson Pollock work? Um, and, and they don't for everyone. I mean, believe me, I have lots of people who look at my paintings and say, I don't get it. And that's okay. They don't have to get it and they don't have to like it. That's okay. I've long ago, I was really worried about proving I was an artist because, oh, I actually can draw. You, do you want to see one of my real drawings from long ago? Because I really can draw. I don't care if I can draw or not anymore because what I'm creating is not about that. When was that moment that you called yourself an artist? Oh, gosh. Just probably only about two years ago. And what was I, that moment I just, like? Yeah, I just finally recently, like if, if I were to meet someone on the street now, I'd say I'm an artist. But that didn't happen until I retired from teaching and started working in my studio. And even then I was like, well, I used to teach, but now I'm an artist. Now I'm just, boom, I'm an artist first. It feels so good to say. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you're definitely an artist. You totally embody <laughs> what I what I envision an artist being. And if you look at your work, there's no denying that. I mean, the oh. proof is in the pudding and and your work is phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I've read that you describe your painting as a, like a spiritual, rhythmic, intuitive dance. Speak mm -hmm. to that, if you will. Okay, so maybe that kind of touches back into what I was talking about in with Rada Abstract. Um, so my process is uh, when I paint, I don't have a plan and I just start painting. I might with music and, and gesture and, and color and paint usually. So it starts with paint. And when I start that way, nothing uh, is happening in terms of, well, lots of things are happening, but nothing is happening in terms of what I want the painting to look like in the end. I'll never know what it's going to look like in the end. It evolves as I'm using gestures with uh, my paintbrushes and with different paints. So for instance, I might start with just, I usually start with either black or white or like a maybe buff color on raw canvas, but sometimes wood. And, um, I usually use both hands and I just put on the music and I close my eyes a lot of the time and I just go, right? And it's so fun. <laughs> like I actually wish I could do that all day long, but there does come to a point where if you do that too much, it, then it just becomes this muddy mess of nothing, like of just these brush strokes that then there's nothing to it because it, I, you have to then kind of step away from it and then say, okay, where am I going to respond next? And I, then I might see something. So then I might say, Ooh, I wanted, I see this figure right there. What's going to happen if I bring that figure out? 
And so that's what I do. It's kind of like a dance between bringing figures out and then sometimes just staying with pure abstraction. So when I'm in that place, I feel like I do feel like I'm tapping into something more, um, some kind of universal, universal spirituality or something that makes us human. Like I, I almost feel like someone from thousands of years ago that was making their mark. Uh, it's that same intuitiveness that I feel like I'm tapping into. Um, and it's meditative. So all time falls away. It could be, I mean, sometimes that when I have a session and I stop and I look at the phone, I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe I, I did that for two hours. Like it, there's no sense of time, time path. It, you are fully in the present moment. So it is almost like a trans transformation or transportation um, into a different place where there isn't time where um, it's very intuitive and the music's there, my movements there, the paints there. And that's pretty much what it is. So do you feel like the painting is talking to you? Like it's, you're drawing from what it's trying to tell you? I do. I do. I remember hearing about uh, a stone carver talking about, they don't know what's going to come out. Like whatever's in the stone inherently is going to come out of the stone. And they're just like kind of the instrument or the the artist to bring it about. And I know that sounds strange, but I sometimes feel that way. Like for instance, that painting deeply rooted a hundred percent that came out from somewhere that was not me intentionally. It, it just, these figures emerged. Like I just had this calling to bring them out and then same with the kind of animal whimsical forms that are on the outer perimeter of the painting in the dark area they just came to me oh yeah thank you look at that um I, I mean and then I had to work on it so I guess that's what the part that maybe I don't explain well enough the intuitive gestural these shapes and figures and animals came to me but then I had to kind of go up back into it and make it work. So what I mean is like outlining something to bring it out or all those little different variations of colors in the human shapes in the middle. Those took me a really long time to get just right. So it's like you're painting and then nope, that's too strong. And I have to wipe it off or scrape it off. And then I let it dry. And I did that again and again and again until I felt this this balance or that it, that it worked artistically, but the initial, the initial was, I felt like the environment I was painting in telling me a story. And for me, that's the story of our connectedness as humans to one another, to our history, to our, the people who lived on this land long before we did to our, the way we treat our environment and how they're kind of on the outer edge and we're all in the middle and we're like pushing them out. I feel like that's what came to me, but I had absolutely no intention of that coming about when I painted this. To take this a little further, this is kind of what I gather from what you just described. You almost like channel this through you without having any kind of preconceived idea it just 
you're just a vessel that it's traveling through onto the canvas itself. And then after that process happens, that's when the intention comes in. Cause you look at it and you go, this is what I think I should do. And this is how I need to bring this about. Is that, yes. is that kind of the, the approach to it? You nailed it. Yeah. And so I know it might sound odd to sit there and say, I'm a vessel, <laughs> but um, I feel like when you're open, when you're really open and you're listening and you're tuned in to not people around you and what's happening in, in the world and, but also to the, the, you know, I know Carl Jung, I think called it the universal unconscious or subconscious or conscious. I'm not sure which one, but that you, you know, that kind of, thing that makes us all human that we all have that connects us all I feel like when you're open you can tap into that and then amazing things happen for well, it's, me it's, anyway as a painter yeah it would be like being in the zone right you yeah, know being like, in the zone being I call it being in the flow yeah 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 for sure yeah so I like I'm making a the point I I hear a lot of times is like people in sports where you know, they're in the zone and, you know, it just flows for them in the state of right. flow. And, uh, you know, a pitcher throws a fastball and they can see the, the thread on the ball and they know what's coming. Yeah. And, you know, it's all just about being in the flow or, you know, you release that ball in basketball and you know where it's going. You don't even have to look LeBron James or I think it was LeBron James did that recently. He just popped one from way out and he started running down the court. Well, I think he does that a lot, but you know, he, he knows where it's going because he's in that moment and he can feel it. So it's no different for you. Right. Absolutely. I think every, that's such a good point. I think when you are in the flow, flow, whatever it is you're doing, it means you're in the present moment. So you're not, nothing else is distracting you a hundred percent focus. And um, yes, athletes, dancers, I think when they're in their dance, feel that I think actors feel that when they're in that character and it's right, you're in the flow. Um, so I, I think that's a very good word to describe it. And that's what I've used to describe it as well. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about the, uh, about having music while yes. you're painting. Yeah. Talk about the importance of that. And what do you listen to when you're, when you're painting? Everything. Um, and it's extremely important, especially just when, when I'm starting out, uh, sometimes I'll turn it off when I'm in concentrating on the, like I was describing that next stage of the painting where I was more looking at colors and textures and things and bringing certain things out. I sometimes turn it off because I just, if I've, especially if I've listened to music a lot that day, but 95% of the time it's music and I'll usually get on something. So for instance, uh, I, I painted a painting called Stella, the entire thing to Miles Davis jazz. And I painted that one deeply rooted mostly to Lizzo. <laughs> I love Lizzo and um, the Fugees. And I listen to 102.3 all the time. It's my very favorite radio station because I find out about new artists that I probably wouldn't know about if I just stayed in my bubble of my musical world. So anytime I hear someone new from them, then I find them on Spotify and I just keep adding to a playlist that has about 400 songs on it right now that I just, I, I love because, and I love new music, but I also, I love old music too. I have, um, Oh my gosh, who is it? Leonard Skinner and a couple others, uh, 
Oh, there was one time I couldn't stop painting to Stevie Nicks um, Avalanche. Uh, you know, the one about landslide. Landslide. Thank you. I'm sorry. Same place <laughs> in my brain. Um, but my favorite probably is um, like dance music. Uh, anything that makes you feel like moving and dancing. Oh, but then I'll switch it up. And next thing you know, I'm doing classical and or um, just pure instrumental chill. Yeah, I, I listen to all of it and it really does affect how I paint. Yeah. So I got to ask a question. So you start this piece and you put it aside and you're going to come back to it maybe next day or next week or whatever. Right. When you get to that piece, do you play the same song or do you so, change? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yes, I usually do because the, I feel like the music is another another part of I was tapped into that particular song, that rhythm, those lyrics, that artist while I was painting. And I noticed if I do put on something else, it's a, it's a quite different. So I usually do do that. Yes. But then there's times when I get stuck and then I just put on something entirely different. So perfect example. I was kind of stuck on that one we talked about. And I think the reason I talk about the deeply rooted painting so much is because it was a breakthrough piece for me. It's mm -hmm. the first time I stretched canvas on a wall, just stapled it to the wall and it's huge. But I remember there's this, I wanted to do more with it, which was the mark making, but I was kind of afraid to, which is really silly, but because, you know, even if you mess it up, you can just keep going and painting over, but things start to get precious with the painting. Like, you know, it's good. Right. And so then you, all of a sudden your brain gets into the way in, in the way and you start messing with it and then you really can mess it up. I can't tell you how many times I've done that because I'm overthinking. So what I did is that's truth hurts. Lizzo got that on super loud and just went for it. And it really helped me um, be free with my mark making. And I think it helped me get past that little uh, I was having. So I credit that one with Liz for Lizzo <laughs> to Lizzo. <laughs> <laughs> I love her lyrics. <laughs> so uh, I want to do something real quick. I'm, I'm looking at Stella. Yes. You mentioned Miles Davis. Yes. So talk about that piece. I know you sold it. It's in private yes. collector's hands. So private talk about collector. creating. Yeah. Talk about that I'm piece. Sorry, it's like one of my best friends. <laughs> oh, well, we don't have to say their name. Um, we won't, but it just, it just cracks me up because my yeah. so almost all my first paintings, paintings have been sold to friends, but nice. on my website, I just call them private collector. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, so talk about that piece. Talk about if you can remembering can. Uh, yeah. the day that you painted it or days or weeks or whatever, and the process and the music. 2015 and it started in Jeff's class. And I remember, uh, I think that Brown, that Brown color Jeff gave to me because he always had, he had all these paints um, that we would all, that was another trick is just to go get paint from the paint store, like the remnants sometimes, especially for like your underlayers. Um, because especially this big, if you're using golden paints for the entire painting that big, it's really expensive and you can use a lot of house paint just to get started. And I know that Brown was his actually, now that I look at that, but most so of when those, you say house paints, do you mean like latex or is it I'm a, talking latex? Paint. Really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's, it's, it's latex paint. And I think 
almost all of it is painted papers or ripped painters, pa ripped papers. So if you see the, the section that almost looks like a little backwards E uh -huh. um, down on the bottom, and then the, what I call like a figure. So it looks like sh it's mostly black and it's in kind of in the center. Yep. Those were from painted papers that I had put ink on and then just taken uh, different tools to, to squish the ink across. And then you cut them up and you uh, glue them down and then paint around them and tear them off and do that again and again and again until you have layers. And then I would then I usually take my golden paints with the grays and the whites and the buff colors and do some final layers on top. Um, but sometimes not like I remember that brown for sure is latex paint. So it's mixed media. It's all kinds of stuff. I think there's some mark me making in there. And do you see that white that's uh, kind of going through her pants? I call them pants. Right. But other yeah. people might look at it and say, what are you talking about? I always <laughs> see figures and things. But that would be an example of turning my uh, paintbrush upside down and scraping through it. Right. But uh, yeah, and to me, it almost looks like a jazz band or it just feels jazzy when I look at that piece. Sure. Um, it has that feel to it. But I just remember when I was finishing it, I did a lot of it in class and then I finished it at home. That's what I was listening to. And, and one song in particular, Stella, and that's why I named it Stella. Okay, okay. Plus it looked like Stella in the middle there. I wanted to say Stella <laughs> from on the riverfront, huh? Yes. Stella. Yeah. So the, the key to this piece for me. Yeah. Is the red. Oh yes. It, it draws everything. It just accents it enough to give it a lot of interest. Yes. Yes. So that, that was one little tiny scrap of paper. Um, that and I remember it being in there, and actually I remember Jeff coming around and saying, "Don't mess with that red." <laughs> so, yeah, you see, you'll see yeah. a lot of artists do that, where they'll have something and then they have their signature, maybe color or just technique. Yeah. But if you took that away, the it's piece a, isn't as strong. I agree, a hundred percent. And I've had multiple people say that. Like when they, if they're really studying it, wow, I really love that red. What made you put that chunk of red in there or whatever? Yeah. And I, and I totally understand that question because when you're seeing something like that or Ron Hicks or, you know, or Quan Ho and right. they do a, do something like that, you're like, I would have never thought of that. Like right. what made you know, and obviously you're not in the moment. So, I mean, you're outside that, but it, it does. It's like, what made you do that? Because it's so cool. Right. And that does that red piece draws it, it. It gives it that touch of interest that may not have been there. Right. Exactly. It, will, it adds a little warmth because that's yeah. kind of a warm red and we have the warm browns too. It was necessary. I absolutely agree. So that is where you are being intuitive. I am being intuitive and gestural and for 90% of it, but then when I'm kind of coming around to those final stages, I do think about things just like that. So I might have a certain color up in one place and I think ah, I need something down here, not the exact same color, but of that family right over in this little spot. It's kind of a proportion or balance composition thing. That's again, intuitive, but I think about it. 
Yeah. And so here's an example of that too, that I just thought of if, if you look at a Mondrian, right, not all of them, but there's a few Mondrians where he's got the lines, but on one, one of the lines, it doesn't go off the plane of the, 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 uh, of the painting. Right. Right. And you're looking at that and you're going, why, why did you not finish the line? All the other lines or most of the other lines are filled, but except for that. And, but it, what it does is it draws interest right? Yes. You got this really well-balanced painting. And then there's this line that just doesn't quite go over the edge of the the plane of the the painting. Yeah. And it makes you think, it makes you wonder. So actually in the book, I'm reading uh, Ninth Street Women or Women of Ninth Street. I'm trying to find it. Oh, Ninth Street Women. Sorry, my computer's sitting on it. (laughs) This book right here is so good. Um, When the abstract expressionists are talking, I forget which one said it, but they said a good artist is one that creates mystery. Yeah. Mystery in their paintings. And see, honestly, the reason I paint, part of the reason is because I feel like it helps you uncover some of the mysteries of the world as well. So it's like a way of trying to just figure out this world and our place in it. Yeah. And it brings all of them are autobiographical as well. The, the mood you're in, maybe something you're going through, or maybe we had an artist say, I didn't realize until I looked at it months later that I can pinpoint it and say, Oh my God, I know why I painted that because I was going through this. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I have an example of that that's perfect. That I think I told you about Wes at Bridge for that one painting, um, Don't Turn Away. Yeah. Yeah. It, that happened where I was just going to do a celebratory kind of figurative piece with lots of color and pattern. And then that one stark white figure with a gray background, which originally was a mistake, and I was going to paint over it became really what I was grappling with during that time, which was about the Black Lives Matter movement and um, that we had, and then, you know, so much going on with COVID, but then also with uh, police brutality and George Floyd. And I painted it during that time. And I was also reading a book called White Fragility about racism and racism being a social construct and, white privilege. And I have learned quite a bit about that as a teacher through all of our equity work, but this hit home in a completely different way. And I needed to learn more and I still need to learn more. I mean, I think that's my job is to continually learn about humanity and what everybody's going through and what I have been raised with and what I can do to help promote social and racial justice as a white woman, um, which is a journey. I've got to figure stuff out and educate myself and listen and learn. And so I was thinking about all that when that painting came out and it just, I remember walking into the studio and seeing it and I said, Oh (laughs) yeah, that's, that's it. That's that says what I've been thinking and learning about and it's in my heart and I'm just going to leave it the way it is. Yeah. And that was a beautiful piece. And I just enjoyed the moment that you and you were describing to me at the bridge project. And uh, that was, I, I appreciate that so much that you spent that much time with me talking about your art. It was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. 
So since we're on this subject, talk a little bit more about your uh, mission of socially engaged art. How 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 often is that playing into your your practice? Um, I think it's it's a it's a pretty big part of it right now. So I do I mentor a student at Redline. So through Redline, they have an art core mentoring program where all year long, I think there's about 20, maybe more artists are paired up with students that go to Whittier or Bruce Randolph elementary and middle schools in uh, five points and they're kids that are, we love art, you know, and so it's about pairing with them to, as a, you know, local artist with a student to do art together, basically, and to mentor them. And so I did that all year through ArtCore. I have, it's amazing, even though it was virtual, <laughs> not quite the same, but we still did it. And uh, we have a huge exhibit culminating exhibit actually at Redline next week. And so the student I mentored all year, she has a beautiful project that's going to be up. Um, and the mentors do projects too. So there's that. Um, I'm also volunteering at the gathering place, which is a homeless, a day shelter uh, for homeless or uh, people living in transitional situations, um, women and family and women, kids and trans people and I work there on Wednesday mornings and I originally started working there because I wanted to work in their art program but it was all of course shut down because of COVID so I'm really hoping I, I only go one day a week but I love it and the staff there's amazing the members I've got I'm getting to know the members and they're some of the most amazing women and I want to do art with them because I think art heals and just to have people who are going through such really horrendous life circumstances at times to just go into an art room and just create is, is a beautiful thing. So I'm hoping to get to do that at some point. And then um, when the art room opens up and then I'm also recently, I just did four days worth of teaching at garden place elementary. So my art studio is in Globeville which is right off, um, well, the studio is right off 50th and Washington. So right where the Denver Coliseum is, right? But then just a mile in is the historic neighborhood of Globeville. And this is a community that has history. Families have been there for generation after generation. And they have this beautiful school um, called Garden Place Elementary, which is part of the Denver Public School District. And I was thinking, wow, we have this art studio with all these working artists over here and the school over here, but we don't do this. Like there's no bridging, there's no community because, you know, we come and go, but this is, this is their community. This is their neighborhood. And I was trying to figure out a way to say we're artists here and we would love to help you if you want it, you know, you're doing great. I don't mean it that way. Like, I'm like, we're here to help you. I mean, if you want art from artists, we're here. So I contacted the principal and she's like, absolutely. Our kids haven't had art all year long because of COVID. So I went in and um, did four days of lessons with all the kids on abstract art. I mean, I was teaching three and four year olds about the difference between figurative and abstract they're getting it right and it was so fun and they all painted and there was so much joy in the room and actually I documented it so there's this wonderful young man I met recently named Cam who is a videographer filmmaker visual author 
And he came and did a film of it so that I could apply for a grant. And the film is awesome. It's amazing because you can see the joy on the kids' faces. And so my goal is to get money from, I'm hoping Redline, there's a couple other places I need to look at into for this grant where we can pair artists at my art studio with kids. So kind of like what Redline's doing, but in Globeville. So that, so yeah, I mean, that's like my big thing that I'm working on right now is to get a grant so that I continue working at Globeville and get guest artists over there, identify those kids who love arts, have them see real working artists, have the artists engage with the kids. It's funny because a couple of the artists said, yeah, I totally want to do it, but you won't leave me alone with the kids, will you? And I said, no, 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 I promise. I said, I will always be there. And the cool thing is, is I have my teaching license. So I get to, you know, I actually can be with legally with kids in, in, in the classroom. I don't know what, how we're going to do it yet. We haven't gotten that far. I haven't even applied for the grant yet, but I'm hoping fingers yeah. crossed. I did get one grant from Rhino that will help. I just found out that will help. Um, like, let's say start with the supplies that I might need, but I need another grant because I want to pay the artists that are coming to do the guest lessons. Artists, need to be paid. And so that's, that's kind of where, and yet now, and then what we're doing is we're making arts more accessible to the students and we're building community. And then what I want to do is have this huge culminating gallery experience for the kids where they get to have their art shown at our gallery. And then all the parents and family members are invited and teachers. And then again, we're, we're together. We're like not two separate en entities anymore, but we're building community. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So that's what I've been working on. <laughs> I love that. That's that great. That's fantastic. I, you know, that's so admirable. And I commend you for taking the initiative to do that because, you know, art is one of those things that gets left out of, at least in some school districts, it's overlooked these days. Yes. And you know, it's, it's phenomenal when you have somebody from outside that has, especially with your experience and, and, and what you've been able to do as an artist and as an educator to come in and put together programming that may not, may or may not be, you know, existent in their current school. Right. 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 Yeah. No, it was a great experience. And, they have a wonderful art teacher, but she had to teach third grade this year. I mean, COVID messed up everything. And they had this beautiful art room and they were so generous. They said, go in, use, use what you need. And we had a blast. Um, so I, I'm hoping that that type of work continues. And I guess what I'm trying to bring to all kinds of communities, so that would include um, members at the gathering place, um, and that includes students that I might work with, but also adults is a freedom of expression. So just getting into an art room and getting to create just to create, not because I'm going to produce something amazing or because I want to sell my art necessarily, but because the act of creating is a very human thing. And when we tap into it, uh, we're tapping into parts of ourselves that sometimes we've maybe, um, not had an opportunity to do because of trauma or because of a lot of different things, or just because you've never even been asked to before. Right. So I just envision continuing that work. 
And I think it's unfortunate that school districts around the country don't recognize the importance of art because once again, it's, it's what defines our culture. You know, when we're oh, taught, when yes. we're, when we're talking about ancient Rome or whatever, you know, part of it, it, the wars and then the artwork that came out of it. And, you know, and then the other part of it, what we were just taught, what you were just talking about, it's a healing thing, you know, yes. and, and it's so important to be able to express yourself. And I think if students had more opportunity to do that, Right. Um, they could at least work through some of the pain that they're they're going through. Right. And and express, um, you know, anything that they're feeling. Yeah, but joy. Exa- yeah, right. exactly. I mean, it's it's the whole the whole range of emotions, but it's also getting kids and adults uh, to realize they have a voice and that their voice matters, yeah. you know, and that they they can get out what they need to through any form of art. It doesn't even have to just be painting, but that's typically the one I use because that's, that's my jam. Right. right. <laughs> that's what I love, but we yeah, have music and movement and, and poetry. Just, yeah. Anything like it. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go to a poetry slam, it's like, wow, you come away from that just feeling changed. Right. And you can feel the energy and inspiration of the performers. It's just, uh, I say, I love all forms of art. So, yeah. And, yeah. and it, you're right because it's the artists who make change. Yep. So, yep. yeah. It's the artists that push us forward, right? Yes. In society. Definitely. New Magazine is our media sponsor for the Tenant Podcast. That's N U E. You can follow both the National and the Denver edition of New Magazine on Instagram. The National edition can be found at new underscore magazine and the Denver edition at new underscore Denver underscore magazine. Look to new for compelling stories from the world of art and fashion. Thanks for listening. Obviously, you feel strongly with people that have uh, been overlooked have faced some kind of injustice. What are some of the social issues that are really like uh, close to your heart? Obviously all of them, but is there anything in particular that really, that you feel strongly about? I definitely would say that the biggest one for me would be um, just racial inequity. I I think that's for me as a teacher uh, working really hard Uh, as a white teacher with a lot of students of color and students who didn't have English as their first language, my primary goal was how do I make sure they feel safe, that they can take risks and they feel welcomed and included and um, important and that they have a voice. And it's something that I have to work on because I was brought up in this culture, in this society where I didn't have to think about race. I can go anywhere. Do I have to think about being a woman, but I don't have to think about race and I have access and opportunity that other people don't. So learning again, educating myself and trying to figure out ways in which I can be an ally. And that's important to me. My other issue that's really important to me is actually um, transgender issues because my daughter is trans female. So I have two kids, both boys, biologically born from me. I raised two boys, but then my eldest in late college said, you know, I feel like I might 
not be, you know, a male. And at the time that was extremely hard to hear because I didn't quite get it. And this was five years ago and things weren't where they are now with our understanding. So going through that process with her, wow, her bravery, um, her figuring out the discovery of herself, her challenges have been huge. Um, And again, I've grown as a person because of that. And so now that I have a daughter who's trans female, it's really important that I, again, support her and also the community. And that's why I love working at the gathering place because they do reach out to people, um, to trans people and help them. And it's a very misunderstood segment of our society. And it's probably a whole nother (laughs) um, topic because it's a big one and it's huge. And I've learned so much as a parent, but I actually would like to do some work in the future for families of parents of kids who are going through this, because I don't think everyone just comes away with it and saying, well, I'm just going to love you unconditionally. What do you need for your support? I think some families really struggle. I mean, the first thing I said to Sammy, when she told me she came home from college with full on makeup, but everything else was male about her. And I remember saying, Whoa, what's going on? And she just said, well, this is, this is who I am, who I am when I'm in Boulder. And I said, well, what does this mean? And she says, well, I'm gender fluid. And she had explained to me what that meant because I didn't know at the time. And I was just so confused and I kept saying, but why? And, you know, and what, and then I finally just looked at her and I said, well, what do you need from me? And she said, can we go to Sephora? (laughs) And so we went to the mall and bought makeup. I was like, wow. Yeah, let's go inside. I was kind of freaking out, but outside I was like, that's what we need to do. We need to go to the mall and we're going to buy makeup and we're going to figure this out. And then when we got home from the mall, Sammy was playing with the cat and the cat just loved on Sammy. Like there's no tomorrow. And I just remember this big epiphany, which was Sam is, is Sam. Sam is a soul doesn't have a gender this is who the essence of who Sam is. The cat knows who it is. It doesn't matter if Sam is male or female. And it was just a beautiful thing. Let me tell you, there were years that were super challenging and um, it's a hard thing to go through for the person (laughs) Um, because this was not a choice you, you, anyone would want to make, honestly, it's a lot to go through, but now she's feeling like she's who she needs to be and she's in a really good place and she's done amazing. I'm just impressed with her bravery and I love her. Like there's no tomorrow. And um, I now have a daughter and my youngest son can now say, mom, I'm your favorite son. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of our jokes. Um, So anyway, that's a huge thing for me is, is, um, that issue. So yeah, when the, when the government's talking about things and, and you, you've got a little kid in your classroom that you think, wow, they want to use the girl's bathroom when they're a boy, you know, this is reality people, whether you like it or not, there are people feeling this way and we got to figure it out as, as families, as educational institutions, we got to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that she's brave because 
it takes a lot of bravery to go through this. And I can't even imagine what it must right. be like for her. And yeah. I, I, I think the most important thing I, I would hope, I wish everybody could do this. is just, you don't have to understand it. Just be compassionate and loving and, you know, don't, don't, don't hate on them you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think there's this fear of what we don't understand. Yeah. Right. Or what seems different than us. And I think that goes back to all the social issues. You know, I have a fear of, I, I don't understand you. I can't, I don't get you. Um, you know, in, in instead it's let's learn, let's listen and let's figure it out. Yeah. You know, let's figure out how to support each other. And I'm glad you said that because it's like, uh, it's always fear-based. It's the fear yes. of the unknown or not understanding because you haven't had that experience. But if you engage with mm -hmm. people and you have that connection, then you start to, you know, you might not totally understand, but at least you can kind of understand what's going on. And like Wes said, be compassionate and open and right. And and then process because, you know, it's a very, uh, it's very complicated. It's really a, complicated. <laughs> one of our favorite yoga instructors, he's transitioning and, um, you know, it, I know him as Bill. Now he's Asilla. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy at first it was, you know, it was, it was different, right? Like yeah. I've never experienced that firsthand. And right. um, my favorite instructor, and now he's, you know, he doesn't dress like a, a male. He's right. just a female. Yeah. But in the end, he's the same exact person or she's yes. the same ex exact person. And, you know, I, I love who she is. You yes. know, the humor yes. still. And people should be able to be happy and, and feel comfortable in their own skins, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I can't, I can't imagine, you know, having to go through that, how hard that must be, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. For that person, you know, to be conflicted. And especially for like my friend, Asilla, you know, she's lived 50 some odd years before she decided to do this. Right. And now she's doing it. But to, to live 50 years on this earth and at the same time, always think, you know, I really just don't identify as, you know, as, as male. I'm really female. I, right. This is the vehicle I was given, right? This right. The physical form, but it, it, I don't relate to it, you know? Right. I relate to the female aspect right. or female yeah. physicality. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you practice yoga, huh? <laughs> well, I was being very good about it pre-pandemic and then the pandemic kind uh, of put the yeah. kibosh on it. I need to get back into it. It's my favorite. And I'd say it's one of my guiding principles with painting as well, with art. It's another thing where I see all those connections. So I've been studying um, this book, look, I feel such a teacher. I have all my books already for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the Heart of Yoga. This is the best book because it's really about, it's about the philosophy of yoga and the practice of yoga. So it does teach you about breathing and the asanas, but it's about really um, taking the Yoga Sutra and making it something I can digest. And again, it's amazing when I'm reading what's happened, you know, about yoga, the philosophy and the the ancient text that has been around for so long from India. Oh, it's just like fantastic. 
I, I love it. Like for me, this is my religion right now. And it's, um, it, and I feel like it's opened me up to painting the way it has the last two years. Cause I kind of started practicing yoga, not so much core yoga where I'm getting a good yoga, yoga workout, which is still great, but it's more, you know, the philosophy of yoga and that's about the breathing and the meditation and, and all the, um, whys behind, um, we do a certain asana. Well, why? And, and all of that, uh, I, I was doing the work while I was painting. And again, I think they kind of went hand in hand. It opened me up in a way I hadn't been open. It opened me up to connections and almost this sense of unity that I didn't have before. And I wouldn't have had if I hadn't been studying this. So that's been, so when you mentioned yoga, I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what people I don't, I don't think get about yoga that don't have never experienced it or practiced it. Yoga is meditation. It's yes. not, it's not all these different forms and positions and so forth. That's just part of it, but right. it's really meditation. And my friend that I was talking about, that's transitioning. Yeah. Um, uh, he would talk about, you know, Yoga is not being able to stand in a certain position or whatever. Yoga is about the breathing and the meditation and what it does for you, you know, your physicality through the mental. And he's like, you know, you could have, you can have driving yoga or driving meditation, you know, you could in any aspect of your life. And you alluded to it when you said that I bring this into my practice, my painting. Yeah. You're doing yoga. Right. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. And And it really... Now I want oh, to go yeah. take a, I, I wish, I wish Asilla was here because <laughs> I, I would love to go do a class um, with you, with him. Cause I think you'd really appreciate or her. Uh, yes. I think you'd really appreciate her philosophy and her idea behind the whole practice. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of talked about before some of the people that inspired you and you talked about the utilization of music in your practice what are other things that help inspire your art? I would say um, nature, uh, even though you wouldn't necessarily see natural forms in my paintings, but just getting to experience nature. So just the time it, when you're walking, uh, sometimes I walk on the Highline Canal down here uh, where I live because I live in Centennial and um, the way they're just sometimes the way the wind or the sunlight hits the leaves or the branches, the way the branches look or the way the bark looks. When I pay deep attention and close observation to those things, I feel like they seep into my paintings at some level. So definitely, and I need nature. I have to, I mean, we love going up to the mountains, hiking, just being away from everything, even just my backyard's a little sanctuary. I'm lucky to, I'm so grateful to have a backyard and we have so many birds and squirrels and rabbits and I get so much joy watching them. (laughs) Um, And and I love gardening. So watching things grow. And so I think being tapped into nature really helps me a lot. And I also think um, ideas, concepts. So anything I'm reading, like I was talking about the yoga or I'm an avid reader. Um, I love fiction too. So when I'm reading fiction, the visual images I get are really powerful. And I think that imagery, again, helps me in some way, not planned with my painting. 
And I dream, my dreams are super powerful. I dream paintings all the time. I have the best dream paintings. <laughs> and, and sometimes they come around, uh, but I'll wake up and I think, wait, how did I do that? <laughs> but things percolate. So there, I always wanted to do these dancing figures. Um, I mean, I have little, even though I say don't plan, I have these little sketches from those years I was saying when the kids were little and I really couldn't create, but I had all these little tiny drawings of these little figures. And then lo and behold, 20 years later, I painted that. I was like, oh my God, I've been thinking about that for 20 years and it, it finally came out. So I feel like I love the beauty of that, actually. You know, they, they, there's these concepts, figures, images that um, are almost obsessive in a way. I can't get them out of my brain. And then eventually they'll come out in a painting. When you said uh, dancing figures, I was uh, just previously just scrolled away from let up. Oh yeah. And when I yeah. look at that, that's exactly what I see is these dancing figures. Ah, so that's funny. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful little piece too. I love that. That was my first sale to someone I didn't know. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it was awesome. She found me through a gallery, um, another painting. Um, yeah, there it is. And contact me through my website, came and did a studio visit, bought it on site. It was but you know what I loved about her is she came in and she wanted to know the story behind the painting, which I told her. And she just said, yeah, this, this is it. I want it. And um, it's in her home. It looks beautiful. Um, nice. We actually went, my husband and I went and helped her hang it. <laughs> it was fun experience. So how big a piece is it? It's a 40 by 40, 40 by 40. Okay. Yeah. Or it might even be 48 by 48. It's pretty good size. Yeah. And that is mixed media. Okay. And I know I, I, I feel like I've been talking your ears off, but the story behind it real quickly is yeah. when I retired from teaching, all those little rectangles that you see, those were notes from students. So when I retired from teaching the whole school, it was really cute. They all got this bright color piece of paper and it just said, Mrs. Davies, when you retire, you should. And they'd fill in the blank. Like it was just for fun. It wasn't like the letters from my former students that were all serious. These were just like the little fun, like you should be a postman or, <laughs> or you should swim every day, you know, that kind of thing. It was so cute. And I wanted to honor all of them. Right. And in like, so what I did is like, I would read one chuckle, right. Or just think, Oh my gosh, I love that kid from first grade, you know, and I remember him in the hallway. Cause it was the whole school that did it. Just not, not just my students that I had. And then I turn it upside down and, uh, and I started creating this grid system kind of with these rectangles. And then I messed with them as you can tell. And the figures were an accident because I had gone in and I was scraping off and an underlayer came out of the black and I was like, Ooh, that's good. And so then I just kept doing it and I did it in a way where they were all lined up and it looked horrible. So then I had to undo them all and put them in this random order, which worked way better, but it's not really random. I think that I counted, I think there's a little, little algorithm in there that I created where the people are. I love so, that. Yeah. It's a fun piece. I love how you took something that, you know, most people either would have shoved in a box somewhere in a closet or throw or, away, or throw away yeah. and you repurposed it into a piece that was meaningful and that resonated not only with yourself, but with someone else. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I do. I have a lot of little papers like that, that I've kept. I had my husband's, um, loved math and he had a number scroll from like third grade. I have it. (laughs) I've actually (laughs) incorporated it into several pieces. (laughs) Nice. I bet you she loves it too, because of the story. She loved the story and and she just liked the figurative quality of it and the look, you know, and they're ha- it was, and I said, she goes, it's just such a happy piece. And I said, I was so happy and joyful when I created that piece. So that's what I say about at the early part of the podcast. I really think sometimes our feelings and our emotions um, come out in the painting. I'm going to take a moment and um, you can look in the episode notes. And I think a lot of people do this, but uh, if you want to see some of these pieces, you can go to Christina's uh, website. It's Christina Davies That's K R I S T I N A D A V I E S A R T.com. And if you want to look at her Instagram, it's the same thing. It's at Christina Davies art. So check those out. Um, you paint intuitively and we, you know, you described it in, in, in great detail and we've asked this other artists this question, but would you describe yourself as an empath? Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, it's funny because with my family always, but when I'd walk into the classroom, I could tell immediately who'd had a rough morning, you know, and a lot of teachers can, a lot of people have that skill, but it was just like a look, or even like when you're in a store and you see a stranger, you can feel sometimes what people are going through. But yeah, I soak it all in. Um, I do feel like I have that for sure. And sometimes I'm affected by it. Okay. That's what yeah. I was just going to, that yeah, was going to yeah, be yeah. my follow-up. If, 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 if it affects you physically, mentally, if it sometimes is draining. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I have my little moments where I need to just kind of curl up in a ball and just feel sad when something Major's going on. It's hard to imagine you sad. (laughs) No, I know. This is me most of the time, but I have my moments. You can ask my family. (laughs) I do. It's like I, um, I, I'm up here most of the time. And then I usually have like one day where I, it's my pajama day. I can't really function a whole lot and I just need to kind of recharge. Um, or, or if a lot has gone on. So where, where you're needed by a lot of people because they're in trauma or stress. And so you're kind of there being the responsible one and the helpful one. And and I love that role. That's kind of been my role my whole life. But there are times then where all of a sudden is like, whoa, I need to stop and just take care of myself and grab my cats and, and, and like just hold up for a little bit. <laughs> So do you get your energy from people or do you get your energy from being alone? I would say both. It's funny. I used to only get energy from people. I I mean, extrovert to a way with a really big extrovert. Right. And only would get energy from people hated being alone. But as I've aged, it's, I would say it's maybe more like 60, 40, you know, 60 with the, with needing people in love, like going to events and being around people, meeting new people. But then I also really need my alone time now yeah. more so than I used to. Well, I think everybody does. I think you have to have some, some form of balance, but I think a lot of people misunderstand what it means to be an extrovert or an introvert, yeah. you know, and, and it's really about where you draw your energy. You know, right. if you're an introvert, 
you can be in big crowds and be at a chamber mixer or whatever, but when you're done there, you're going to be wiped, right? Yes. Where I'm obviously an extrovert and, but I'm a shy extrovert when I'm in a new environment. Sometimes I feel uncomfortable, Uh. but when I leave a, a, a gathering, I am on cloud nine yeah, because I know, I've too. just pulled so much energy <laughs> from being around other people. And yeah. uh, so anyway, I've just always, when he asks about being empathic or not, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering like, you know, extrovert versus introvert, but I kind of figured you were probably more extrovert than introvert. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, I would say I am, but I, I definitely need that. I still would say I get more energy from being around people. So like when, when you're, I, Oh, go, oh ahead. go ahead. No, I was just saying the other night I had the, an opening at the Thrive Ballpark and that Todd came to. That was so fun. And when I came home, I was like, ah! <laughs> I was just so <laughs> excited and it was so much fun. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, so when you're, you know, doing your art, are you doing a lot of solitary work for long stretches or? Yeah, I would say that, that, that's interesting. I, Yes, I am always pretty much alone during that time. And I love that. I love that. Um, but I also have my one of my best friends, Angela, just catty corner for me. And she's there a lot. And she's also an amazing abstract artist. And so, you know, we'll just kind of the rule is in our in our studios, doors are closed means everyone's engaged in the flow, but if your doors cracked or open, you can go in. And so um, I'll usually text her and we'll usually connect when both of us are in a place where we're not in the flow necessarily. Cause you never want to mess with someone when they're in that place. Right. right. Um, and then my other favorite thing to do beside, I mean, I do love painting alone and that's most of the time, but is to have people come in and paint with me that's a blast. I love that because then you respond to each other and um, you learn from each other. And so for instance, I'm going to have a a friend. He, he was just telling me how he wants to learn mixed media. He hasn't done that yet. I'm like, all right, well come on over next week and we'll do that together. And what's really cool is when you can create a piece together. I just love that. It's so fun. Yeah. So I was going to ask, do you do a lot of collaborative work or much of that? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do more. Um, I'm actually going to have a collaborative piece at Redline here pretty soon. Like next week is a part of that project I was telling you about with the Artcore Mentor. Um, I'm starting it, but I'm going to let people write on it in the gallery if they want to. <laughs> so that, that'll that be, I think that'll, I'm really curious how it's going to turn out. I think it's going to be amazing actually. Um, but uh, we would do that in, at our student league at Denver, um, Jeff would just get a big piece of butcher paper out and we would start working and then we would work on the other persons and you keep going. And then we just cut them up and use these as mixed media material for our paintings. So there are some paintings I have with other people's beginning works in it, which is so cool. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. What a great idea. Oh, it's fabulous. It's so fun. And I, what I really like is getting people who've never done abstract before into my studio. And they always leave having a different appreciation of it because usually they just haven't allowed themselves to experience art like that. So that's another thing I like to do. I love it. Going back to the whole idea of uh, socially engaged art, do you feel like uh, artists are doing their job these days? Do you think that there are a lot of artists that are 
pushing us into a different realm, a different way of looking at the world and thinking differently? Absolutely. I think I just feel like almost everyone I've known re- recently of the peers that I've be- learned from and gotten to know in the last just two years, they seem to all be doing something um, with their art in terms of awareness or educating or creating opportunity or accessibility. Um, I feel like artists are so passionate and and it is about their art form, but it's also about what, how am I making change through my art? And um, like I, every mentor at Redline is doing that by being a mentor, right? <laughs> um, but they're also, um, one example would be an artist, her name is Lindy Zimmer. She's a muralist here in Denver. Yeah. And so she's one of the art core mentors, but she was doing a mural and just opened it up to the mentors and the um, mentees, the students. And so actually that was the first time I I got to meet my mentee was at the mural. And then we were all painting together and it was so joyous. And, you know, she didn't have to do this, uh, but she wanted to. And I'd say most artists are about getting their art out there, or at least most artists I know in the Denver area are about doing something for, the community and getting their art out there and engaging community and making it accessible to all people. So it's not this sheerly academic or maybe highbrow or elitist thing. It is accessible to everybody and everyone can create art. So I I would say, I can't think of any of the artists I work with or know that aren't doing some form of that in some way. It sounds to me like you feel very strongly about your community here in Denver and that the art community is very supportive. Yes. Oh, Uh, is that a question? (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Well, I would say question. Yeah. Well, just because I've, I've met amazing people. I wouldn't be on this podcast with you guys at all. If it weren't for all these other amazing people. I mean, so many people have been giving me opportunities. Um, I mean, I could start with Leslie Jorgensen, who is a prolific landscape artist. She has her own gallery now in Salida. And um, she contacted me in 2017 because we knew each other for through class at Art Student League of Denver and said, hey, so I'm doing a show at Grace Gallery and I am doing another show and I can't fill it all. Do you want to do a duo? do you want to show your work with me? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was teaching and I only had a couple pieces and I said, yes. <laughs> and um, I painted like a mad woman. We converted our dining room to my paint studio. It was hysterical. Um, it was actually, it worked out really well. And I painted, 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 had like 10 pieces in the show. And that was my first show, but it wouldn't have happened without Leslie reaching out to me and saying, Hey, I love what you do in class. Would you like to do the show with me? And so there's been these pivotal people just in these last couple of years along the way that have given me opportunities. So Richard Callisher, um, doing an article about me in new magazine. And then that led to weekend of the arts, which then led to the fabulous group of people there, Brett, I call him Brett M <laughs> and Brett Fox and um, Annie DeCamp. I mean, now I've met Annie, I've met Michael Dowling. I've met all these people that I didn't know six weeks ago. And 
they've been fantastic, you know, and then I've recently met a bunch of artists from core new arts, uh, core new, new art space. And, um, I've also met, uh, forge art house that just got voted best new gallery in Denver. And then he called me and said, Hey, do you want to do the show at thrive? My other artists fail. Yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> so my whole point is, uh, it's been a super supportive community. I can't, I, I mean, and it's not to say I haven't had rejections, believe me. I want to actually, I'm going to post this on Instagram soon. I want to post my decline, 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 not invited, not invited, not invited, not invited to everything I apply, I've applied for the last two or three years, because it, that's real, you know, and all the letters I've written to galleries and lots of stuff that you just don't get feedback. You don't get any nibbles. And then all of a sudden these nibbles started happening. Um, just this la the last really six weeks, it's been amazing. So, but it couldn't have happened without the kindness of all these other artists and people who, who just really love to bring art to others. Right. And, um, support emerging artists like myself. So. So let's take a moment and talk about the show that you currently have at Thrive Ballpark. What are people going to see when they walk into that space? Well, so Thrive is a really cool, innovative space. And the lobby of it is um, they're, they've been curating as a gallery space. And when you walk in, well, actually, they would be um, Jason, who goes by Forge. So Forge is in charge of the space. He's curating it for Thrive. And um, you'll just see my paintings all up in the lobby. And the main one you'll see, you'll see a set of three big ones, uh, deeply rooted. What's next to that one? Um, I forget the name of that one for a second. Um, my Flying Solo, which is one of my favorite ones. That was Lee Krasner inspired. That one. Yes. I channeled a little inner Lee Krasner on that day. <laughs> or actually, that wasn't a day. And that was actually during the pandemic when we were all quarantined. But I remember looking at several of her paintings. And then I, I started that one. It's got like 20 layers in it. Um, and they'll also see some of my smaller abstracts. Most of my abstracts in the show at Thrive are pure abstractions. There's only one or two that kind of lean figurative in that one. Um, but yeah, and I think people are surprised about the size when they see them because uh, usually you just see them with dimensions and it doesn't give you this on a little screen and it doesn't give you this sense of when you see them in person. And I think too, you can kind of sometimes see the depth of the layers as you get closer to them as well. And then some of the mixed media ones um, have some translucent qualities or like one that actually has tape on it. <laughs> and the tape is right there, clears a bell. <laughs> so those, yeah, so that's what they'll see some of those works. I like the idea behind this flying solo. Will you, will you speak to that real quick? Oh, um, about the pandemic. Yes. Yes. Y yeah. So when I painted it, the first layer, um, I really did. I was just kind of channeling, uh, the fear and anxiety of what was happening. This was, remember, we all were there. 
last March in April when we really didn't know what was going on and no one could leave their homes. And it was very, unless you were an essential worker. And um, I had, my parents were, I couldn't see my parents and we took care of them. Like we visited them all the time. So it was just, there was all this, my kids were at home with me, both Sammy and Joel were home. They didn't have jobs at the time. It was like, just, ah! and, um, and yeah, it was beautiful to have them home actually in retrospect. But um, so I would paint the fear and anxiety and just kind of like get all that out kind of viscerally and then stop Maybe the next time I approached the canvas or an hour later, I would paint another layer of like peace and healing and it's going to be okay and just breathe and we're going to get through this and we can work together and there could be some good that comes from this. Like, so I was alternating all those feelings with the layers and then like scraping away literally scraping away with some of my tools, um, the fear and anxiety and painting over with the peace and the healing. And I kept doing that. I did that for, oh, probably a month. I worked on that one. Wow. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece and it's striking when you walk in and you see that piece. It's, it's quite amazing. I like the movement in it. I feel like it's moving. (laughs) There's a, there's a movement in it. Right. But thank you. I, I like that piece too. I'm very partial to it. <laughs> so, so what made you pick a limited palette or limited color selection? I think I was influenced by, I was looking in my book at uh, Lee's, Lee Krasner's works and hers were mostly, I want to say more like burnt umber, black and like cream colors, but I just love the simplicity of it. And I am drawn to black and some black and white and, or just, two colors, um, like a white and let's say bright blue or something. I, the simplicity of the palette means I don't have to really, I don't have to think about color. I can just think about movement and, and gesture and brushstroke and texture and how the black and white work together. Um, And sometimes I love adding in color, but sometimes I just love the black and white. And most of the paintings in the show are more of the black and whites. When uh, Forge looked through all my paintings, he's like, you know, I just think those will be really striking in this space. Because I have some really colorful abstracts too, but I I like the minimalist quality of it. How long does the show run for? So that's going to be up through June 30th. We actually will have a closing party. (laughs) We just found out on June 18th um, where I will raffle off one of my prints. So that will be fun. (laughs) And then actually, I think I might be doing something in July, but it's not 100% confirmed yet. But I I might have something up for a first Friday event and um, a show and again, at a non-traditional gallery space um, in Rhino Art District. So, fantastic! Keep yeah. us posted. Yeah, I see on your CV that you uh, have been awarded some uh, some some grants. Is that correct? Oh, the one to go to the the residency. Yeah, in, in France. Yeah. yeah, so it's the. It's a residency in France called the Chateau 
Thorkavo, I might not be saying it right. And so we got to look that one up. It's That's um, why I was going to let you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone, uh, the few people who know I'm doing this is like, okay, here's the deal. You have to learn the name of the town and the name <laughs> of the residency. I'm like, I know, I know. But it's Chateau D apostrophe O-R. Um, Q. U E. going. <laughs> Q Q U E V A. U-X. Yes, and I don't want to butcher it. I'm, I I will. Orkava? So, Orkava? It might be that. Chateau d'Orkava? Orkava? Anyway, it's fantastic. It's this beautiful, beautiful place in France that does these two weeks or four weeks artist in residence programs. And I got accepted right before COVID. And so they just put everything on hold, which is fine. But um, they keep sending emails and um, on Instagram, they keep posting, you know, that they're getting ready to start opening up to non-European travelers because it's from, it's international. So there's 15 artists there at a time and you might be maybe two, two from the United States. There might be someone from South America, from Europe, from all over. Um, which is super cool. And then you just get to practice your art for two weeks and learn and get to be with all these other artists. And then that award that they gave me was, is a scholarship to help defer some of the cost. So that's what that is. That's spectacular. Yeah. Congratulations. I I couldn't believe I got in when I got the announcement. I remember it's like, what? I got in. I get to do an artist in residence in France. Like to me, that was just pretty dreamy. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So so what do you look for when you're looking at residencies? What as an artist, what do you what do you want to experience at a residency? I love the well I love what they said. It's like you you get to just come and have this space to create and you know, you know and 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 then be in a community of other artists. Um but I love that idea of two weeks in a, I feel like when you're in a different location in a different space, it's going to bring a different quality to your artwork, right? So, I mean, that was so, and then the location, I'm sorry, but you should see this place. If when you look, go online and look at it, you're just like, I can't believe I get to be there. It's so beautiful. And the estate is so beautiful. It's like, it's in an, in an historic building. That's just incredible. But the other residencies I've been applying for and I haven't got in yet, but I'm going to just keep persevering One is platform in Denver which I love because again, you're working with students. So you would have a six week artist in residence program where you're bringing your art, art practice to the, uh, it's mostly teenage students. And then again, there's a culminating show. So um, I've applied for that one a couple times and then, but it's very competitive and they, in, it's in, it, they can get artists from all over the world. And I think they only have four per year. So that's that's a hard one to get into, but I'm going to just keep trying. And then Redline, I would die to be an artist in residence at Redline. It's two years and um, the studios, I love their studios. I love the current, like I, I follow the current residents and see all the work that they're doing. And they have some amazing artists in that group. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And, Yeah. So, and then, you know, again, Redline has the whole mission of nonprofit arts and that's my passion. So it would be, I feel like a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, have you been to France before? 
Oh yeah. But uh, let's see twice. So we went on our honeymoon, which was really fun a long time ago. And then um, we had one of those dates. So we had traveled to London with my youngest and um, did the channel and had like the day in Paris. That's like a whirlwind, but it was still amazing. And then came back. But I love, I love it there. Believe it or not, I did take French in high school. So I really should be able to pronounce the name of the residents. <laughs> um, we just hope no one from there listens to this podcast. That will Well, be we do have good. listeners we from do. France. Oh, so. shit. We have a, we have a listener from <laughs> Cliché. I don't believe you. No, it's true. Oh, you really? <laughs> okay. Like every... Every episode, I see that they've tuned in. So, oh my goodness! This well, week we're, we're doing a shout out to them, as as a matter a of fact, major shout out. Actually, yeah. everyone, yeah. everyone. I'm I'm anyway. So keep talking. <laughs> so I was curious if if you'd been to France because I lo- I love France. I'd love to go back and experience oh, it. Yeah, um, I love I lo- I love traveling. Uh, there's so many places I want to go to. So I would so actually. Much look for residencies in other places. I would, there's one in Mexico city. I haven't done the research, but I would love to go down there, uh, go to Mexico city for an artist in residence. There's so I've been down there once before and it's amazing city. That's what I've heard. I've never been to Mexico. Oh, it's incredible. The history and the museums and the so much art. Oh, so nice. Yes. So let me ask you this question. Uh, what do you do when you get rejected? Like, how do you process that? And this oh, is a I question just... I've never asked anybody since we've you been doing it. You never have? I, we've never asked, like, how do they deal with the whole part of being rejected or rejection? I mean, it's kind of funny. You just, I, I just think, uh, well, first, when I was first getting rejected, it made sense to me because I, I wasn't there yet. You know, I was, I was maybe putting some work up or I didn't have my mission statement quite right, or I'm mean, I still working through the process, but I figure every time you even apply to something, you're learning, right? right. So the first few times it didn't dissuade, it didn't make me feel bad or anything. There's a few that I've worked so hard on and I just thought I had all the requirements that I haven't gotten in. And I just thought, that's okay. It's, it's not the right timing for whatever reason. I've always said one door closes, another door opens. So I just figure you just keep trying. And um, it hasn't affected me too negatively, probably because of my age and where I am in my life. I know when I, I got rejected when I was younger, I, oh, it was devastating. But now I'm just kind of like, eh, it's okay. We'll just keep trying or that might not be the right fit. And just move on. Yeah. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen again and again and again. And that's okay. That's part of the, part of the deal. You obviously use social media. Do you sell art off your social media? Have you had sales off your social, social I have. media? Yes. Um, recently someone said they found me through Instagram and then they came and did a studio visit and bought a few paintings. So that was, that was a great experience. A fabulous couple like i adored meeting them so it's really fun to meet people who seek you out because they like your artwork Uh, that's pretty cool (laughs) um so i have uh not a ton but a little bit and i'm just right now for the month of until the end of june 30th basically um i'm in you know art taos is and i are working together so all my pieces and my prints and everything that I'm doing right now is, is going to be through art towels, but 
I don't, except for that. And I've, I'm also part of core and that just happened recently for, to be a part of core new art space. Other than that, I just sell on my own or through my studio. Okay. Yeah. Oh, except for that. I've got, uh, it's Brett, um, the people at bridge project have been so amazing and they've let me have some pieces in the museum store there. So that's been great too. All kinds of incredible things are happening for you. Lately, yeah. It's huh? just like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Gotta ride that wave. <laughs> How do you go about pricing your art? Cause you, you produce like extremely large pieces. So is, yeah. do you have a formula? I do. I, and I don't know if this is the best, but I think for me, it's just been really simple. And again, my friend, Leslie Jorgensen helped me out. She's a really good marketer and artist, but she's a, she's really good at business because she her did everything she did before she painted full-time was um, in marketing and graphic design. And so she had me just start out with just doing a dollar or a dollar 25 per square inch. So it's just, there you go. And it's set. And actually when I look at it and think about it, it works pretty well um, for an emerging artist. And it's, it's still pretty, like from my point of view, seems pretty pricey for, but then I look at the size of those paintings and I think, no, that's pretty accurate. And when I go to galleries and I see artists and the size of their paintings and what they're asking for, I feel pretty good about where I am with my pricing because if it's a really established artist, they're going to be able to ask for a lot more, which I completely understand. Um, but I'm not super low and I'm not super high. I feel like I'm just kind of just right for emerging. And so I'm sticking with my dollar 25 per square inch for right now. It's very transparent and it's just, and then at my price is just, that's what it is. It is interesting because there are certain pieces that, you love so much. You want him to go. <laughs> You're like, no, that one. No, huh? that one's 10,000. <laughs> but, um, but that's what I love about it. It's kind of objective. And really when I, I did take the time to price out like materials, I had to get it framed. I had a, or stretched and framed and the time it, it's, it's, it works out pretty well, that formula. I don't know if I'll always stick with it and I might need to do something different in the future, but for now that's working well. What other uh, business tips or tricks have you learned since you've become a full-time artist and you're really trying to, you know, this is what you do now? Yes. I, I just discovered, um, well, make yourself a business. I just started, I just did that um, and make it all legit uh, in terms of um, having your own bank account and maybe everyone was doing this. I wasn't. So this was important for me because I, I didn't, I don't have that background. I have my back, you know, background in teaching and, um, wasn't always my favorite thing to do was the bills and the finances and all that. And now it's like, wow, this is my business. I need to figure this out. And so having my own bank account, doing artwork, um, archives uh it's a software program for artists that's so good and it and it allows me to enter in all my expenses and then all my um earnings and so then i can actually get a feel if i'm making ends meet so until recently i wasn't i was <laughs> of course not big time deficit for several years and then i would say 
just re recently, I might be able to be pay rent on my studio and pay for some my my supplies and call it even. So right now I'm I may be breaking even for like the last three months, which is good. Yeah, congratulations! <laughs> I think that's that's phenomenal. Start I'm somewhere, lucky. right? I'm lucky because I have my teaching retirement, so I have that monthly income that comes in from my retirement that helps helps. And I'm also married. So I have my husband's, like we have income together that we both can use. So I'm very fortunate. If I were to try and only make a living off my art, I could not do it. And I would, I don't know any, none of my artist friends, even my ones that are, I wouldn't say none, very few of my artist friends um, are making a living off their art alone. Most of them have other jobs that they do in addition to them painting. So that's not to say it can't happen, but, um, and then also the other thing is just getting really good at social media, which I was not on my first show I ever had someone from Rhino art district came to take a picture of me. And he goes, okay, I'll tag you. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he goes, Wait, aren't you on Instagram? And I said, no, I don't do social media at all. And he goes, well, you're going to have to. <laughs> And he was right. I would say my visibility as an artist um, and all the, well, the main break I had came through Instagram. So even though I think there are some pluses and minuses, if it's gone, it's been really powerful for me in terms of just getting my artwork out there. People's got to be able to see your stuff. So, right. and yeah. you, you're reaching a lot bigger audience when you're uh, on, you know, social media. Absolutely. And I just, you know, it's all artists, 90% of the people that I follow and whom follow, who follow me, we're all artists. And it's great to, to look at everyone's artwork and seeing what everyone's doing. And then I have friends and family, which I love. I love keeping them in the loop too. So, um, but I'm always, I don't know. There's this fear that for me, it's a fear of putting yourself out there too much because that wasn't always something I was comfortable with. And it's still not. I'm like, oh, God, does this sound like bragging? Or does this sound like, you know, oh, God, not you again. I don't want to hear from you. But at the same time, like, well, right now, this is my business. So I, I, I need people to know this is what I'm doing in my business. And it's okay to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's but necessary. I struggle with that a little bit. It's the generation that we're from. Like yeah. that, what is it? How we were raised where like, we're just, you know, putting ourselves out there all the time, but that's the way the new world works. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not foreign to the, to the younger generations, but like, you know, yourself and Wes and, 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 and myself, you know, that's, that's not how we grew up, you know, no, that, you didn't walk around talking about yourself all the time. So it's no. kind of a different mindset to get into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's necessary. You have to do it. Well, if I hadn't, I wouldn't be talking to you guys, right? right. It's true. Right. Yeah. It's, so, so I totally agree with that statement and, and I'll, keep, I'll keep doing it. But I, I needed, you know, I, start, I got to the point where I took, was, uh, had to make the more professional one where it is really just more about my art career and not post like as many cat pictures and things like that. <laughs> So I'll put those still on stories because those don't last as long, but the posts I'm trying to, and then I learned how to make the frames, you know, get an app so that you can make your paintings and pictures look a little better. So I'm learning all this as I go. I just Google everything <laughs> and figure it out. 
I, yeah. I'm right there with you because yeah. we just literally launched our Instagram account after having it since we started like in the last like month and a half. Oh yeah. So, Cause I've been following you guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's that very was, good. <laughs> I, I really had to learn a lot and yeah, I'm, and I'm still learning a lot just like yourself. Thank God. I, my kids, I, didn't, I didn't know how to tag people. I didn't know. I didn't even know what that meant. And once I started doing that, that's when I started getting a lot more, a lot more action, but my, yeah, my, my kids, when they come home, I'm like, could you show me this or this or this? And they help me, but I feel like I'm just so slow compared to them (laughs) and it's not intuitive at all. Mm -mm. And you want, you guys know what a dead giveaway is on our age when we're on our phones. Do you want to know what it is? You might not be this single finger texter. Do you use one finger or do you use all? I Uh, use my thumbs. You use I'm your thumb. thumbs? I'm a, I'm a thumbster. <laughs> thumbster. What about you, Todd? I'm trying to think of what I do. I think I use it. Th- I think I'm a one person or one finger person. Yeah. So if you ever look at anyone who's maybe, I don't know the age limit, but younger, <laughs> they're going with both yeah. thumbs all the time. Yeah, and they're I'm super a fast. Be- I, right? I learned I on Blackberry. <laughs> That's I learned it. On Blackberry. Did you have a Blackberry? I did. That's why. Yeah. Oh, but it's just funny because there's just certain things I do that are not technologically savvy, but it's okay. It is okay. okay. I'm, I've learned a lot, actually. I'm doing, I need to upgrade my website. Um, and I actually might turn that over to someone because I, it's too much for me to keep up right now. Yeah. It's a lot between social yeah. media and just doing the work itself and then yeah. everything else that comes along with it to like yeah. maintain a website. And I'd say that. 95% or more of artists that's like where they drop the ball. Is sure. their website. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cuz we go cuz we're looking at art all the time. So we run across, you know, you're clicking on stuff that's dead links, it doesn't go anywhere, right. the, you know, the email doesn't work. Right. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So, yeah. Navigation website. is important. Navigation. It is important. I yeah. feel like, you know, my website's working okay, but I, I noticed like I don't have prices on there. A lot of people are doing that now. Gotta have people prices. even have the shopping carts. Don't tell don't me know. to go contact you for pricing. Don't tell me that because I want to know what I'm, what I'm getting right. Because it might, yeah. I mean, not, and no, it's I not know. because I, I, I just want to know, right. you know, and it's not no, bragging if you put, four thousand dollars on a, a painting it's not bragging this is your price and You're exactly if i don't right. have if i don't have four grand and i send you a message saying hey what's your pricing and then you send me back something that that's out of my price range yeah. well i've just wasted your time and my time you're right um, no or, i i i know you're right i just did a seminar um a through a gallery and they talked about that and yeah. so i know i have to do that i just haven't yet but I, I, I just seen somebody else's website and they said, contact me for pricing. And I'm like, ah, well, I don't know if I'm in the ballpark or, you know, you might look at it and say, oh my God, that's a smoking deal. And I think their art is undervalued and I'm going to jump on it now Yeah, because I know in six weeks, they're going to be asking more money. Right. So it's, it's exact. You're exactly yeah. right. And most of my friends do do that. So I, that's something I've got to do, but I will. <laughs> right after this podcast <laughs> i'm gonna get on there get onto my Squarespace, find my freaking login somewhere and, and i'm all about bartering five hundred dollars two chickens and a goat and the piece is yours yeah i like bartering too 
I mean, that is something that <laughs> I would I never survive it. in Mexico. I would never <laughs> survive because I would pay top dollar for everything and I'd be broke. And that's <laughs> they're all about, too. you know, they want, they like the, they like the deal. They like the, you know, well, anyone who barters yeah. wants a good deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I paid top do- dollar in Israel when I was there. And I know people were like, what, what an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> How much I, is that? Not, okay. I don't have good bartering, bar, bartering no, skills either. at all. Yeah. I'm always, I cave like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Find a car, <laughs> top dollar. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll pay it. Yeah. That's it. 54,000 for a Jeep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> no. I yeah, love I the suck deal. At that. Do you? I, See, lo- I, I love oh. negotiating. Oh yeah. Oh God. It. it makes me so I uncomfortable. Whole, I have a whole thing that I do. Like if I'm yeah. buying stuff off Craigslist, I have a whole system that I have worked out. I need Ooh. you to be my buyer because yeah. I suck at it. I, I, I love, I love. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> it's like, ridiculous. Get up and walk away. Like, uh, <laughs> the worst thing they can do is say, the, the worst I can do is say, no, it's no big deal. I know. Right? I know. I like, know. It's okay. ridiculous. No, I know. Yeah. Either you want to sell it or you don't, you know, and my husband is very good at that. So yeah. 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 He knows so, how to do all that. So when I buy one of your pieces, we're going to barter. We're going to, no, we're going to negotiate actually, now. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to say, I'm, I, I have, I, every now and then I'll be like, Oh, I'll offer a 20% discount because X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden I'm like, shit, why did I do that? <laughs> coming in. That was the I'm- other thing the seminar said was <laughs> she said, and don't, don't, um, that's your price. Stick with your price. Don't offer anything less. Okay. I think uh, that's great advice. It is. So I'm going to come in and say, Christina, you got to yes. sharpen your pencil because we're going to wheel and deal. <laughs> and I'm going to say, nope, $1.25 <laughs> per square inch. So this is it. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. Yep. Wes, you have any more questions? I got my, I got my question I want to ask. You know which you one, one I'm really going left. for. And I used, to, I used to like set it up, but I don't set it up anymore. Okay. So without setting it up. Uh, what's it mean to be bold as an artist? What's it mean to be bold as an artist? Bold means taking risks. So doing things you've never done before, trying something new. Bold means uh, speaking your truth, being authentic, not putting on a facade of someone you, um, who you think people might want to be around or to, or they'll like you as an artist, but just this is who I am. This is, this is, doesn't matter. This, I guess, so being true to yourself and taking risks and being strong in your passion about creating art and being an artist, like feeling value in that because it's something that's important in the world and it's something that's important to you. Good. Love that. And I can tell by your painting and by my interactions with you and by this pot, this episode today that you are very authentic and you uh-huh. are who you are. And I love you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a blast, you guys. Had a great time. So edit away, because otherwise you're going to have to do a part one and part two. I'm looking at this here. I don't want to be the next. What was, I don't want to be a a, a one and a two. We won't won't say that. (laughs) No. We learned a lesson early on, and we don't do multiple parts anymore. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. it's it's a one parter, whether it's an hour or three, it's a oh, one parter. And okay. uh, so, well, but, I'm sure uh, there's a lot that can be edited. I, I know you're that's your thing, Wes, right? Yeah, yes. we have some good stuff here, though. So, it yeah. is we my do. thing, 
but there's, um, there's gold in this episode for sure. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Christina, thank you. You guys are so you. fun. Oh, thanks. You know what? You're, you're, I admire you. You're inspiration. Um, I think your work is absolutely exquisite and I'm, I'm really happy to hear all these amazing things that are starting to shake out and I can't wait to hear and see you in person the next time you have going on. You're, you know, you're just on this upward trajectory and, and I can't wait to see where you go. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, it's a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And I, um, I just really appreciate it. I appreciate that you guys invited me on. So, well, it's been absolute pleasure being yes. with you tonight. Yes, I'm going to go eat dinner now. It's 10 p.m. <laughs> no, there's no dinner now. It's bed not, bedtime snack, maybe. Yeah, I got to yes. go eat dinner too. Oh my okay. god. Todd will too. All right. Well, I know I'll see you guys soon. Christina's show runs through the 30th of June at Thrive Ballpark, Interconnected. Go down, check it out. I'll have the information in the episode notes for this week. And on that note, for the Tenant Podcast, I'm Todd Pearson. And I'm Wes Brown. Have Have a great great week. week. Château d'Orquevaux.